Welcome back, horror fans. It's Wednesday, 7 p.m. Central Time, and that means it's time for another episode of the Week in Horror podcast, the only podcast that's all out of bubblegum. Thank you for joining our live show, and for all of our podcast listeners, be sure to check us out so you, too, can interact directly with the show. This week, we are covering select films released in horror history May 23rd through May 29th. Thank you all so much for joining us. I am JL, and with me tonight are Eugene and Alex. What's up, everybody? Hey. We also want to give a shout out. We got Johnny O working board in the back. Thank you, Johnny. (laughs) And uh, joining us tonight to nerd out on our horror film selections, the writer and director of the supremely amazing award-winning adaptation of Edgar Allan Poe's The Telltale Heart, special guest, McLean Lindquist. Hello, everyone. Thanks for having me. It is a pleasure, a big-time pleasure. So awesome that you were able to... We know your schedule is crazy, so so glad that you were able to come out and uh, join us for the show. Before we jump into our selections tonight, let's take a look at what is going on in the chat. I see there's Kevin Paul, the man behind some of our, our amazing work. Thank What's you, Kevin, for helping us. Kevin, uh, thank you for helping us out with that. Tina Jones, peekaboo to you too, and Charlie Welch, the only man on the internet you never make a bet with. Good to see you, James Jones, Who? the man of a man. Thank you for coming in. And there's the oh, Jinju, pleasure to see you, and PhD Tony, the brutalist man of all, there to criticize everything we do. <laughs> also, one of our amazing, amazing patrons. So we love having you here, dude. And who else we got? We've got Dark Steve. Obviously, Dark Steve uh, dropped in, another one of our amazing patrons. And Commander Darklight, another patron. Thank you so much for coming. Uh, Commander Darklight's coming in all the way from New Zealand. So, hey, I think what he's 15 hours in. Is he? No, no, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. He's he's coming from Australia. He's on Tony's side, isn't he? Um, I I was asking Johnny. Johnny knows. (laughs) But he's coming from Australia, so I know he's waiting. (laughs) well well, tony's on one side irish is on the other side so all right and crafty keela good to see you thank you so much for stopping in and chris durham music channel fantastic and he is pre-answering tonight's trivia question with ruth bader ginsburg (laughs) i'm just gonna let you know i'm just gonna gonna let let you know chris unfortunately (laughs) that's not it (laughs) but thank you so much for coming by no. <laughs> no. And he's, uh, he's ahead of the game. He is. He's trying to be. He's trying to be on top of it. All right. Well, as we said, uh, thank you so much, McLean, for joining us. Um, you have some amazing stuff coming out. We are going to chat with you a little bit later after the show in our after dark session. So all of our people who are subscribed to us, you'll be able to access that at the end of the month. It's going to be really, really awesome. So we've got movies to talk about, right? Oh, we're just we're just jumping right into it, huh? But we're gonna dive right fucking in. All right. Let's go. Do I get to go first this time? You get to go first. I I, I, I wanted no, you I to have go first. Fr- it was a joke. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> All right, we're going to start tonight off with a fucking classic. That's for sure. Um, we're going to go, where are we? May 23rd, 1980. See, I said I had my notes up in front of me, but I definitely did not. Yeah, May 23rd, 1980. We're going to talk about The Shining, uh, written by Stephen King, directed by Stanley Kubrick, um, starring, of course, Jack Nicholson, uh, Shelley Duvall, Danny Lloyd, Scatman, Car- Scatman Crothers, which is the like, coolest freaking name ever. Um, Carruthers. Carruthers. That's what I said. 
Gary <laughs> Nelson, Philip Stone, Joe Turkle. So if you haven't seen this movie and don't know what it's about, I mean, are you even supposed to be here? Um, <laughs> All right. <laughs> <laughs> but a family, a family. Check this out. It sounds pretty cool. Family, uh, family heads to a hotel, gets uh, snowed in, and the father, Jack Nicholson, loses his mind completely, slowly, and uh, terrifyingly. I don't, I don't know how to explain this movie any, any different way. <laughs> he just tries to kill his family. Uh, yeah, yeah. That's it's standard. Shit got real. Yeah, shit got real. <laughs> like I said, though, if you haven't seen this, I do want to make sure. Um, <laughs> McLean. Oh, that's awesome. Um, we don't. It, it, he's not muted, is he? Can we hear him? Can you not hear me? Yeah. Okay, we can hear you. Okay. Oh, for a second there, I thought I thought you, we accidentally left you muted. All right, but uh, obviously it'd be okay if you did. <laughs> All right. He just signs the entire podcast. But definitely being uh, being one of the most epic horror films of all time. We definitely wanted to get your take on this. Being a director yourself, this is a huge movie that I know has inspired many of us. And just what your what your takeaway was on this, you know, coming going forward as a director. Yeah, well, it's one of the greatest movies of all time. I mean, not just horror, but movies. And for me, there was a whole mythology as a, a kid. Um, it came out, I was four years old when it came out. And uh, everybody's talking about it. And I knew the references. And so it was, you know, built up in my mind. But then when I did see it, it was, you know, just this incredible movie. I understand why King doesn't like it because the book Jack is a good guy and you really care for him and he's struggling through it. And it's about family and his addiction, uh, alcohol addiction. Um, but the stuff that Kubrick took and then adapted is maybe the greatest adaptation of all time. It's just uh, super inspiring for me. Um, I'm kind of a nerd. I've been to both of the hotels uh, in Estes Park and then also in government camp, Oregon, and stayed and, you know, geeked out. So Kubrick's really important to me. I mean, a lot of directors are influenced by him. Even if you don't really like his movies, you can't really deny <laughs> he's incredible. You can just yeah. go through some of his movies, and they're just stunning. I just love his work. And he was, you know, the, the word genius gets, you know, thrown around a lot, and it's it's overused, but he was. Um, he was also a a hole, you know, and <laughs> I, I don't like what he did to Shelley. You know, it was awful. That that's one hundred and twenty seven takes. Would never wow. do that in a million years. And I know, like Harvey Keitel walked off of Eyes Wide Shut because he just had him walking in through a door, and on like the thirty third take, he was just like, "I'm out of here. I'm done." Uh, I'm but done. he, but his movies are just beautiful and. Um, I personally took so much from him when I went to filming my first movie, I did a little research and I found out that he was very open to, uh, having random people, you know, involved with the plot and the movie and the cinematography. And that kind of blew me away. I figured he was really, you know, like, this is what we're doing and this is how we're going to do it. Um, like the ending of full metal jacket was written by Modine. He, was the one that came up with that ending and Kubrick was like, cool, let's do it. And so Kubrick's, you know, amazing. And the shining is just forever a part of my life. And whenever it comes on, I just instantly, you know, I'm taken to that world. And I also liked Dr. Sleep as well. So awesome. But 
the, the cinematography and the, the layers and just everything about the movie. I mean, I could go on and on and on, but I, I, I love The Shining. So. Definitely, the film is the. I mean, for all of us, I'm, I've directed myself. I know uh, I've directed films as well, not just myself. Uh, Eugene is also uh, our. our you know, Dale, uh, get up. <laughs> Eugene is also uh, is you know is also a director, and um, we've all dabbled in filming, you know, in various areas like that. And I can't. I. I mean, I know I wanted to kind of like touch with with Eugene and myself as well. For me, uh, for, and for uh, Alex as well, get your get your input as far as it's. The, the film itself is an inspiration to all of us. For me, it was what struck me was uh, tone, pacing, and color. Was because Kubrick was phenomenal in his use of color. And, and I mean, every single frame was a painting that I think he just think this is the way it's got to be. And it's going to be this way, other, you know, for come hell or high water. And while, yeah, that kind of that level of perfectionism, I mean, as like we saw with Barry, you know, with, uh, with Barry uh, Lyndon. Mm-hmm. Was I mean, which I arguably I, I would argue is one of the greatest films ever made. Probably uh, a perfect movie. But uh, what he does with color, what he does with music, the the set design and everything surrounding the characters, the environment that he creates for the characters is as much a character in and of itself, yeah. integral to the story. And I knew that as a filmmaker, that was one of the things I was going to have to pay attention to. That what's going on or the background itself, where we're setting everything, is as important because it speaks about our characters. It speaks to their reaction because Kubrick saw these things, that people react differently in different environments. And if you want to tell a very particular story, you've got to be – you've got to have your settings nailed down. And so he taught me that. What about you, Eugene? I love – I mean, we can talk on and on about his cinematography and art direction and all it's incredible. I mean, I'm not going to say anything new that no one else knows, that no one else hasn't stated. One of the biggest things I like to think of when I think of The Shining is the editing of it. It is beautifully cut and it has one of the most terrifying cuts I have ever seen in a film and I, I saw this young and it still shocks me to this day and it's the cut where he's riding the tricycle and he comes up to the twins and you see the twins that are there and then it cuts and it's covered in blood and the twins are <laughs> and then it cuts back to them standing there and it's so shocking because there's no lead in there you kind of already know there's something wrong because there's two twins there <laughs> but usually you think it would it would gradually go up to something and maybe it was weirder and weirder and no just boop, blood blood dismembered back to normal and the first time I saw it, it stuck in my mind and when I think of horror films that's one of the very first cuts I always all I think of it as iconic as the cut in uh, Lawrence of Arabia where you see the zoom in of the match. And then it cuts to the sun when he's out in the desert. Nice. Which Quentin Tarantino, Steven Spielberg, a bunch of other people said is one of the most one of the best cuts ever in a film. I see, I see that on the same par of it. So I mean, just incredible, incredible pacing. Uh also you get the scene in the bathroom. So where he's sitting there, he's talking to he's talking to the guy to see the butler or whatever in the bathroom. And the way it flips, what we call the one eight, so it gives the audience this all of a sudden this uneasiness because normally when you shoot a scene, you have a character on one side, character on another side, and it stays that way the entire scene. But what he does is he flips back and forth 
So they keep switching sides on the screen without them actually moving. So you get this kind of disorientation in the conversation as it turns. It's these, it's these edits, these little things that stick out in the movie that put it above so many other films. Yeah. And uh, Alex is our as the resident baby in the house. He is the youngest one on the crew. York, <laughs> no, that, uh-huh. that absolutely has an influence on it too. Because uh, McLean, like you were saying, it was like such big hype that you knew everything about the movie, even if you haven't seen it. We've seen stuff like that. Well, and my I've seen stuff like that in my lifetime. But this movie was still. I was born in ninety, ten years later, and I don't think I saw it until I was like twelve. So you know that many years down the road and it's still, I saw it on TV for the first time. So like the hype behind it never really died down and there's a reason. And the vision of this movie was like, obviously executed almost flawlessly, um, especially for the time that this was made. And so I saw it. And since I was young, it was terrifying. Um, and it stuck with me, but like, like you were saying, McLean, um, the, the uh, Dr. Sleep, I feel like that one was like, super cool because i got to see it as i was older and like really appreciate it but it like it transitions so well from um the shining to dr sleep with even like the types of shots like eugene was talking about that that stuff sticks out to me even though you know i had seen i'd seen the first one so young but the second one made me feel the same way it was like almost nostalgic watching what they uh i think it was mike flanagan did with uh dr sleep definitely Definitely yeah. from like the start of my life to the end of it, it's been a part of it. It was an it was an intense. The thing. end of it. And, what am I dying? No. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, it was an it was an intense. I mean, obviously, it was a very very intense film. There was moments in it. I mean, the the way the way Kubrick built tension. Um, when Halloran is trying to make his way back to the uh, uh, back to the hotel because he knows what's going down, and then his <laughs> his struggle to do that, and for it to end the way it ended. And obviously, I mean, this film is uh, is forty freaking years old. So when he pops in, looks around, like has a moment, and then Jack is already there. Boom! It's like he, you just don't see that coming the first time. If you if you know nothing about it, that one catches you off guard because it the build up to this point is like, yeah, he's he's going to be the hero. You can't go through that kind of struggle to get to this point. Be the harbinger. Essentially, he was the harbinger because he gave all the warnings and then he left and then he's like, uh, then he came back and he was kind of like, I I'm, I'm, I, I got to do this for the kid. And then because the two of them were connected and then boom, and then Jack is already there and on top of it. So that was, I believe for me, that was Kubrick's way of, even though we're so deep in the film at this point, that was Kubrick's way of saying that you do not know what's going to happen here. The tempo of this was so off. Yeah. If you may, if you read the book, don't be, I mean, and then boom, then this happens like this. I mean, (laughs) we just kind of jump. You have no idea what's going to, well, I mean, how this is going to play out in the end. It's 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 going to be a different ride than you're expecting. I thought that was brilliant, but it like McClendon mentioned, it led to controversy. There was a do what? Welcome to weekend technical difficulties. We're good. Oh, no problem. No. We can fix it in post. <laughs> <laughs> so, but like McClendon was mentioning, there is uh, there was heavy controversy on this, especially after it came out. King had real, real problems with it. Man Devil in the chat was mentioning that when King first got the call, because at the time him and he and his wife Tabitha they were dirt poor. When the call when the call came in, hey, we're going to adapt, you know, The Shining. Steve Kubrick's going to direct, and uh, King was like bullshit, like he didn't believe it. He thought somebody was screwing with him, but eventually he got you know it went forward. And King is, um, I think King at the time was incredibly unhappy 
with the adaptation. There was bad blood between him and Cooper for the longest time. But I think he's softened on it in recent years, especially with Dr. Sleep. He had Dr. Sleep adaptations. And I think maybe 40 years uh, can soften a guy to to something. I, I'm not sure. Maybe he's just, you know, he's beyond it. But uh, but yeah, there was controversy in the film, not to mention, and we we have to we have to mention the documentary to you know, room two thirty seven, right? So the documentary about all of the stuff that supposedly is in the film, and I'm certain, you know, and I don't know, I I. I take it with a grain of salt myself. Well, what do you, uh, McLean? What do you think? <laughs> Hell no! <laughs> <laughs> Hell no! It's <Wow>. ridiculous. <laughs> You're taking one of the greatest achievements of, of mankind ever and reduce it to Stanley Kubrick doing it. Who is incredible? If anybody could pull it off, it would be Stanley. But no, none of that is real. In my opinion, it's a nice doc, though. It's very well done. So, <laughs> yeah, because yeah, it was. Oh, uh, go go ahead, Eugene. Yeah, because it's you, and you never know unless you're the actual <laughs> filmmaker. It's like what's on purpose, what's on accident, and what is like you. You're just restricted. So sometimes it's like, yeah, there's something. This is a meaningful thing in the background. It's supposed right. to mean this. Right. And sometimes it was it's the first rant. face they saw at Dollar General. Yep. <laughs> we all know that. that. Every yeah. every movie maker knows that. I was commenting online. Someone had uh, one of the theories, which I think is incredible, off topic with Quentin Tarantino's Pulp Fiction with the Band-Aid on Ving Rhames' back. Um, and that's his soul. And it's in the briefcase and all that. But the reality is he cut himself shaving. And that shot was supposed to be him looking in the camera. And then they kept it. And But your creativity takes you there. And that's what like The Shining does as well. It's It's just... It's full of creative juice and it's a masterpiece that's cultural. It's like psycho. People know things from the movie, even they know they haven't seen the movie. All work and no play makes Jack a dull boy. Everybody knows that, even if they don't know the tie-in to the movie. So, and yeah, uh, like you were saying, JL, the his set design and all that, and really all of his movies, but especially in The Shining. It's incredible, incredible, because you see this tiny little hotel and then it goes inside and it's massive. That hotel in reality could fit in that foyer. That's a very small hotel. And it's, you know, you go inside and it gets bigger and bigger and bigger. That's just, you know, next level stuff. For me, it was very, you know, influential. And we even referenced Kubrick in our set design and multiple times uh, as acting cues as well. So. But yeah, I, I also agree with Eugene that jump scare, that, that first jump scare that you get with the, the pre-vision or post-vision or, you know, the flashback of the, the girls um, being slaughtered, whew, you know, and you've already, he's already got you because he's coming with the steady cam the first time, you know, that it was really used correctly, in my opinion, with the, with the inventor of it running it as well. But, you know, coming around that corner and the, he sets you up for that. And then boom, then that jump cut is insane. And then also when Halloran gets it, that's the first time yeah. that you see that, that was like, oh, okay, this is horror. Mm -hmm. You don't know what's going to happen. And, uh, and so you're just right there. And he, he just, he brings you into his movies, whether you like it or not. And that's maybe his best example of that, of putting you, you know, right here. So, oh, yes. 
Man Devil was mentioning that, and it and it just kind of occurred to me. This was an excellent take. So when Jack hits him with the axe, he was sure it was a premonition that Halloran was having that would allow him to avoid the attack, because yeah. we had set that up, um, having premonitions of what we, of what was going on or premonitions of what could happen, and because they both have the shining, but unfortunately it wasn't. So that was also kind of like a red herring. It's kind of like, hey, yeah, there's like, no, 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 he's dead. We're so we're very very sorry. <laughs> and just no, he was- brutally killed you know obviously there's lots of interpretations kubrick i think that the whole conspiracy theory thing behind it was kubrick was known for having for for, for basically having personal messages throughout throughout his films everything was a statement color was a statement the music was definitely a statement he was big on his music selections like in this like you know like i mean in this one particularly they talk about um his concerns with you know the relationship between white people and the Native Americans mm-hmm. and real that's real yes this, this is real <laughs> that's real there's so many references of and that if you don't see that your clues such as the closing photo of Jack and the party at a Fourth of July party or Jack's early reference to the Rudyard Kipling poem White Man's Burden and just just kind of it's all over the place and so because Kubrick was known for this I think that I think as a matter of fact that there was a calendar. Something wild. There was a calendar in the background of a shot that was so innocuous. It was like it was literally just set dressing. But the calendar was very, very specific because it it was the image on the calendar. You know, dates below and the image above, and that was kind of like holy shit. If you go in, that means something. Because Kubrick was about this, so I think people just said, well, if it if it has all this in it, it obviously there's sure. there could be more things, and people looked for what they wanted to see. The stretch, a mighty yes. big stretch, but yeah. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, I mean, there's some, there's all the artifacts within the hotel, the, the Native American rugs, the indigenous everything, and even down to some of the the cans in the in the um, pantry are have you know American Indian uh, imagery. So it's and it's supposedly you know on the Indian burial site as well, but yeah. <laughs> So well, it's not that big of a stretch. I, you know, I hope people see subtext like that. And But that's a movie for me that definitely opened that up where it's like beyond just what we're seeing on the camera. It's something within you. So Perfect. I think we had some, some we're audio. Getting, we're getting, uh, we're getting background. Feedback, the aliens yeah. are contacting us. Yes. I know you guys have been watching CNN, but there's aliens. <laughs> uh, Johnny, I think we can hear you. You might have to meet your mic. Johnny. Trying to get in. <laughs> oh, so loud! Holy shit! I can. <laughs> I never did. What? Yeah, no, it was really hard okay. to talk over you. We're talking to the guy in the background. <laughs> All of us just went delusional at the same time. Well, talk, that, was, that, was, that was wild. I don't know who was. I don't know who decided to spill all the uh, the contents of the kitchen at one time. So. I think it was Maracas. I heard Maracas in there. <laughs> I was like, I wasn't thinking it's like a cartoon when they something gets hit and everything in the kitchen goes all at once. <laughs> totally normal. Uh, There's a poltergeist. It's cool. Yeah. It's actually what? Jail's ghost. Well, being a ha ha ha, we're not going into it. Uh, yeah. so, so the. Uh, the, oh, okay, so obviously a, a very important film to all of us as filmmakers and as horror fans. I think it's pretty much required viewing for anybody for anybody out there. But we also can't you know can't get away from touching on the importance of Doctor Sleep. 
the sequel that King wrote to this story, the uh, 40 years later, the uh, or no, 30 years later, the grown-up Danny Torrance dealing with his own demons, the same demons as his father dealt with, and then, of course, eventually culminating in a return to the Overlook Hotel, um, directed by Mike Flanagan, brilliantly directed by Mike Flanagan, who I think struck this gorgeous balance between paying homage to Kubrick and giving King what King would have wanted, saying, this is what King wants, this is what we got to do. And somehow he found the middle line to go right there and, and and strike and strike home. Not to mention amazing performances from Ewan McGregor and everybody in that cast was so amazing. And I think it comes down to it. For me, there was a bit of a nostalgia for me because I love The Shining. There was a bit of a nostalgic thing, but I know that there are people who really don't dig The Shining. So, um, but Doctor Sleep, what did it say, uh, McLean? Uh, when you first saw Doctor Sleep. How did did that change your the relationship with uh, the Shining at all? Nope, nope. And I, I'd read the book as well. You know, I, I can appreciate the book and the movie, um, and definitely what King did. And then there, obviously, there's stuff you can't do. You know, with the the hotel being burnt down and all that. So you know, but what Flanagan did was incredible. And he's I really like his work. I haven't seen any of his stuff that I don't like. But no, it, if anything, it enhanced it for me. But you're right. He walked that line and it's tough because you're going to have people and it's Stanley Kubrick. I mean, whoa, <laughs> you know, so and Stephen King on top of it, you're dealing with Titans and he did a really good job of balancing both worlds. And, and uh, I really like the extended. I, I will only watch his cut, mm-hmm. um, which a lot of times I don't surprisingly i'm not big into the director's cut but that's one where i don't think anybody should watch anything but his cut which is like half hour 45 minutes longer it just there's a better pace and you know it you you get more depth to the characters even the villains who are really cool and i just liked everything about it really i i i don't get people that don't you know or that do you know attack (laughs) things just because of nostalgia um, I do wish they kind of pushed that harder. Like, I don't want Shining Part 2 or anything. Yeah, but definitely. I wish they did tie it in a little bit more, because I think a lot of people kind of got lost that, that that was the Shining Part 2, that this is Danny as an adult. But I guess what, you didn't know. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah but, but and you and uh, he, he that was awesome. He was, he's just a great actor. Oh, um, absolutely. But everybody, it was well cast, and the the gaff was really cool, and the the effects it was, I felt you know, subtle enough, and it didn't feel like it was a CGI fest, even though I'm sure it's probably like ninety percent. But um, <laughs> but it was done well, you know, it was done with a cinematic taste. Um, as the uh, I forget the uh, the gal's name, and she's flying, you know, through the air. Oh, that uh, was Rose the Hat. Rose, there you go. But the, you know, that shot, um, the gimbal in like real time, and then coming into the house, and so he did a lot of that as well, where he used the set design, which I'm I'm really big into set design, as I said, and he, I thought that was really cool what he did, turning the room, and he'd slide down and everything with the chalkboard and all that. It's just, yeah. it's just great. It's, it just leads to good storytelling, which is what all good movies are. But I, I had no complaints uh, with Dr. Sleep at all. 
Rebecca Ferguson was amazing yeah. in that role. She, she was, was incredible. I mean, yeah. stone cold. And just, I don't know, you know about the hat, but I, I thought it was, that. It, it was a it was a unique touch and something, but something that that was kind of like I think it, it hinted that something was off about this character because she's a, she's an extraordinarily beautiful actress. Yeah. And I look at her, I was just like, wow. I mean, that's just like you know, she would transfix you, but the way she dressed, especially the hat, kind of puts it off. It's kind of like. <laughs> There's there's something off here. It's, it's like seeing two contrasting things. A woman of this, a woman of this beauty of the stature would not wear a hat like that, but she does, and she wears it well. So it's there. I mean, I think there was a hint that there's something. My off thought about was character. that's mm-hmm. when you know, kind of like maybe whatever. That's when her peak, and that was whatever hundred years earlier. You know, with those kind uh-huh. of hats, with the beaver pelt and all that. I don't know. That's just when you start making your own interpretations of movies. But mm-hmm. initially, I thought maybe it was like the magician rabbit type of, you know, candy, which it kind of was with the flowers and all of that. Which was also, I don't know if he was trying for this, but it felt like a, a, an homage to Frankenstein. You know, when they're they're by the water there and they're with the flowers and all that, and it's a monster. But which one's the monster? So definitely, that was deep, bro. <laughs> you know what really got me which is super fucking cliche now that you just made that beautiful yeah oh my God. <laughs> when they, when they, you gotta the live up to it live up to it alex come on shot on the elevator <laughs> when they when they when you when it was just the picture with just the elevator in it um I guess it was kind of towards the end because you kind of wait the whole time for the elevator. Oh, yeah, the reveal. Sure. Yeah. And so they they show the elevator and it immediately connected everything else that I'd seen in the movie with the shining. It was like, and then, yeah. So, I mean, it came together really well. I mean, like you said, if you knew what was going on, because if you just saw Dr. Sleep on its own, it could be like a standalone movie if you just didn't think too much into it. Yeah. And so, yeah, no, I think that like when they started pulling stuff from, the shining towards the end it was like yeah okay this is this is great i thought it was going to kind of lull off but then it was like nope we'll just pick up from here and end it on an extremely high note and i don't know if most people know but that was elliot for bt was was yes yes yeah he's a really he's a good actor he he doesn't get his due fucking henry Henry thomas Thomas. yeah he doesn't get his due (laughs) as like the young jack nicholson for a second there i I mean there was a couple moments i when we first came in i was like nailed it i double take that was like did they like de-age Nicholson or did they like digitally? Just, holy shit. The Irishman. Oh my God. I was like, holy shit, that's Henry Thomas. Yeah. Holy shit, that's the, young, that's the young kid that's from E.T. That's the young kid from Fire in the Sky. Holy fuck. I'll never forget when I went and saw this movie in theaters because I went by myself. Um, and then I left and I came back and I told you guys about it because it was right when we were starting up the podcast. I was like, you guys got to go watch this. And you're like, oh, yeah, we'll get around to it. I think you guys both saw it before we had talked again. And you're like, holy shit. Oh my God. <laughs> yeah, it was, it was great. <laughs> Back in our episode one and two days. Hey. And I, and I loved it. I think that uh, Flanagan did an amazing job paying tribute to what Kubrick did and what Kubrick had created. And, um, and it had the, uh, I would say there's kind of an energy kind of a, uh, how do I, I'm, Find it difficult to put into words. We've seen it in the new these new Netflix adaptations of, of King's work. We've seen it in Gerald's Game, um, in the Tall Grass. Right, that uh, was him too, right? He did Gerald's Game, didn't he? Yes, he, he did. That was awesome. And and just this, uh, there's kind of a, a new kind of, I guess, the energy necessary. I guess filmmakers are really taking it seriously now, and because mostly King uh, King adaptations were not great. 
<laughs> Mostly. Some of them were, were absolutely like that. I thought, pet, I thought Maximum pet, overdrive. Who does he have I to blame for that one? And his maximum overdrive was, you know, his one directorial credit. But I think there's some bad, like there's, some, there's some bad ones out there, I think. But, you know, like Christine is one of my favorites. Pet Cemetery mm. was amazing. Cat's Eye was fantastic. Um, but you know, unfortunately, some that were just not so good. Pet Cemetery. And, did you say Pet Cemetery? Yes, I did. That was great. Sorry. I'll, I'll pay more attention. And but I think I think filmmakers today are are taking it more seriously. That they're looking at the author, they're saying, you know, they're paying the respect need be. It's not just going to be we're going to capitalize on Stephen King's success, and it's like, no, we're going to, you know, we're going to treat the, you know, the source material with respect. We don't need to take liberties with it. Uh, we'll we'll uh, change as little as we as we must. That's why I like because uh, the differences between the book and the film were okay to me. It was like it was like reading the comic, reading Marvel comics, and then watching the MCU movies. Yes, there are some slight changes, but they're functional. They work, and they don't detract from the story, which is always what's so very was always so important. And I think Mike Flanagan just completely outdid himself with this one. And I think if you if you do watch them, definitely, I I honestly think this should be a double feature. Watch The Shining, and then yeah. watch Doctor Sleep yeah, right immediately after it to get this huge, massive universal story, which I think is amazing. Well, what I'm what I'm curious about is. People may have finally figured out the formula to adapt Stephen King. Like you had a couple early, early one, obviously Shining and Carrie on it, and then we had like a string of a lot of bad ones. And I'm kind of curious if it's like superhero movies. People try doing superhero movies for so long, and you'll get a good one every once in a while here and there, but most of them are pretty <laughs> bad until you had like Iron. A lot of them were bad until you had <laughs> Iron Man, and Iron Man really cracked the formula on how to do a superhero movie. Yeah. And maybe <laughs> that's how you do it. That like like figure oh, it out. That's the balance. And maybe. Mike Flanagan is like, no, this is how you adapt King. And other people influence other people in Netflix series and all this other kind of stuff to go, all right, now we figured out how to do it. Because yeah. Stephen King likes all the new adaptations he has. Yes. Yeah. I'm especially looking forward to Lysi's story coming out with Julianne Moore. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. Speaking of Julianne Moore, real quick side note. If you haven't watched uh, The Girl in the Window on Netflix, check it out. Oh, Amy yeah. Adams, the new Amy, yeah. Amy Adams one. It's a good oh, thriller. Yeah. I'm looking at it. Actually, just, great, uh, great casting. Great cast. Mm -hmm. Really, seriously. And it like it like took a trope that's been done before and did it very well this time. So it was good. You um, kind of you kind of remind me of the uh, the sun. <laughs> Are you? I hope that he's here, but uh, well, I'm sorry, Alex. To... <laughs> I'm big time looking forward to Lysi's story, also with Julianne Moore. I think it's Julianne Moore and um, uh, Clive Owen, and yeah. uh, Clive Owen ends up, you know, you know, her husband ends up disappearing. She ends up getting involved in this, and Dane DeHaan is in it as the the creepy guy that's following her around. So I think it's good. That's going to be really, really good. I just, I can't wait for that because it. It feels very much like like Gerald's game did. Like, uh, was it nineteen forty two? Yeah, which was the, the farmer and his the far, the farmer murders his wife. Yep, and I, I'm I'm loving it. I'm loving that I'm getting to see this new kind of wave of respect for these adaptations and doing them solid, so we don't get any more like fucking sleepwalkers and you know graveyard shifts and shit like that. No, <laughs> even like even in the tall grass was good. Yeah, and the thing yeah. with that one is it's like it wasn't even like a particularly like. 
it's not going to stick with me for the rest of my life story, but it was done well. And like, I enjoyed watching it. And I don't feel like I wasted my time. And so, yeah, no, absolutely. These new ones are pretty good. Fuck. That movie was creepy as hell. That really was. Which one? Oh, right. In the tall grass. Uh, uh, in the tall grass. That was just, <laughs> yeah, it was, just and of course, I don't want to think spoil. maybe I stopped thinking about it. Cause it was kind of fucking, fucking <laughs> I don't want to spoil <laughs> what happens in it, but you know, just, you know, when she wakes up and he's just like, here, eat this. Yeah. Like, no, oh, <laughs> no, 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 no. <laughs> All right. Well, uh, that brings to, we've talked a lot about the shining tonight. It's a massive, massive film. And I know we, uh, we, I don't think we needed to dive super deep into the film. Just like the, like the movie itself. It's not like we, we need to do a review. Most everybody has seen it. If you have not, Strongly recommend it to everybody in our live audience who has not seen it. I'll definitely try to stream it one day. Probably do a double feature with with uh, Doctor Sleep. Um, but I do want to ask the audience. Um, oh, we want to ask the audience, and that's Alex's one because I jumped the script. <laughs> Did you just fucking? Take- I jumped the script. That's my well, bad. I was gonna ask. The I audience. fucked up. Alex is gonna ask the audience. So Alex is I was like, is he really on? I'm, just, I'm just gonna sit over here. I'm just gonna sit over here and look like an asshole. <laughs> I yes, yeah, so on the cabs. I I yes. earned it. I earned it. Bring it. I fucked Anyways. up. It's, it's not the first time we've jumped each other in the script. No, not at all. <laughs> <laughs> Anyways, so I was going to ask the audience, uh, Doctor Sleep, did you think that it improved The Shining? Was it was it a good addition to the story? I I think it was awesome. Yeah, it's official. Okay. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> it's be, sure, be sure to let us know. Weekendhorror at gmail.com or leave your thoughts in the comments below. And if you disagree, you're wrong. You're wrong. <laughs> <laughs> I would agree with you, but then I would be wrong too. So. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what sound it is. No, I don't know what it's saying. I don't know the sound it makes when it lies. <laughs> That's it. That's it. <laughs> so I have a like-dislike with stuff there? like Dr. Sleep and the later books and the Dark Tower that explain what the supernatural stuff was. It takes away from the mystery a little. Oh, and thank okay, you, Man so Devil. Man Devil's talking about... Uh, That's legit. Mm-hmm. Yeah, They're peeling it back a little bit in the second yeah. one. It was my it was my bad. It was 1922. 1922 was the the, the the depression. Yeah, Yeah. there we go. Phrasing. (laughs) Oh, uh, Mandel was Mandel saying we we didn't mention Ready Player One. For and a reason, that whole, <laughs> that, that whole well, you know, this because it's a horror podcast, and you know, ready to play. That horror was, movie, but watching it, that was super cool when that happened. It was like, yeah, okay, I'm there. All right, okay. When they <laughs> walked, when they walked in, when the, when the movie theater opens up, and the, and they walk in, and it's like, my, because I, I, I saw, I saw it the first time I saw it, I was like, holy shit! <laughs> it like got saying, real. It's cultural. It's cultural. It, was it, like, it got real, and then the minute that when when H walks into room two, we, we, you know, it was going to the blood's gone, and he's like, oh, and he managed to grab into a room and he goes into it and the door shuts and it's like oh my shit (laughs) and what's fucked up is that there were kids out there who have not read the book but they saw this thing in in theaters the first time they don't know the significance of that room (laughs) and so i love that there was that it was kind of like all of us horror fans are going oh he he, like h is so fucked all rooms I just I love how because that that was like in the previews or anything like right. that, and you're like, okay, you got the first race and it's all cool action, yeah, action fun, Steven Spielberg, and yeah, they go to the hotel. It's like, oh, oh. 
Oh yeah. <laughs> this is about to be rough. It was right. It was super cool. <laughs> okay. So we're gonna jump on to our second film tonight. Yeah, Jill, what's that one? Thank you, Alex. <laughs> dude, I that really I, script. Dude, I got really, May 25th, 2000. I really, I really apologize, dude. Off but, the top of the dome. But we got uh released May 25th, 2007. We have the psychological horror film Bug. And directed by William Friedkin, director of The Exorcist, and written by Tracy Letts, based on Bug by Tracy Letts, starring Ashley Judd, Michael Shannon, Lynn Collins, Brian F. O'Byrne, and Harry Connick Jr., and probably one of the best performances I've ever seen him in. And the, for, in a nutshell, for those who might not have seen this uh, slightly smaller film than the last one we talked about, the action centers around two individuals, a uh, Ashley Judd and Michael Shannon, who wind up together in the same hotel room. Michael Shannon believes that he is being targeted by government conspiracies, and he thinks that there are, you know, implants in his body and the bugs, you know, it, 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 it's really, really fucking weird. The two of them then descend into what could be madness or could be something real. We are not really certain, but it definitely it definitely goes fucking haywire. Shit gets real. Shit gets real. Shit gets real. There we go. As Eugene likes to say, a very very taut and, and extraordinarily intense little film that uh, for what for its budget, you I don't think you would expect what this film actually pushes out, but psychologically had a profound effect on me. I don't know about you, McLean. Yeah, I love Bug. <laughs> I, and and you were telling me, actually, that, that Billy doesn't consider it a horror movie. And that's fine. He gets to do that because he's William Freakin. But uh, it's a horror movie. All of his movies are horror movies, in my opinion. <laughs> and I love all of his movies. He's incredible. He's another really big influence. But Bug is, I think, why it works. It's, you know, like a long shot or whatever tracking shot it's in it's only in two two rooms i believe the entire movie the bar and the the hotel room so it's like the play which it's based off of and you're you're right there with them and then their neuroses you're watching it and it's done you know elegantly where it's not like okay this is in their head or this is real you you know it bounces around and it allows you to you know, just kind of go along with the story rather than trying to like solve it. But yeah, it's very intense. And especially when Michael Shannon comes out of the um, the bathroom when the doctor's there or the psyops guy, however you want to look at it. <laughs> and he did. I'm pretty certain be, unless, you know, obviously with, but it looked like it was just straight in camera. When he was on the bed doing the exorcist, it was like he was really doing that. I think that that looked like that was just him acting. And um, like if he did, I don't know how many takes they did of that, but that blew out Linda Blair's back, you know, with a brace and all that. But he was violently shaking on the bed. And when they wrap him up and that's a long shot there, too, that's so intense. And I think another part that makes it really intense that there's all great, great acting. Uh, Ashley Judd's awesome. Um, But uh, Harry Connick Jr., I think, makes this movie. He is, it's just like, it's so believable as his character. I don't know if he grew up with people like this or if he's just (laughs) like a really great kind of method actor. But it was like, 
damn, Harry Connick's kind of an asshole. You know? <laughs> <laughs> and you know, I've seen him in other stuff, you know, but, you know, you're, you're used to the piano and his Christmas songs, whatever. But he was like, that was so well cast and he did such a great job in that. Um, and that's one of those moments. He's one of those characters where it's like, you know, is he good or bad? And and all of that. But I, I, I love all of his movies, but bug was really understated. And um, yeah, I don't know what the budget was, but didn't seem like, like there was a lot, but um, I don't think you can say that it's not a horror movie. If there's a room full of tinfoil too. So that's like, yeah. I think the budget, on the, the budget on this bad boy was about 4 million and it grossed 8.1 back at the box office. Um and just you know, with the intensity of that, I, I think that you know, predominantly would go into the set design and obviously the way they shot and how they were able to yeah. set it up in order to get the camera angles that they want. In order, uh, but yeah, uh, and oh. I would never. Oh, go ahead. Yeah, it reminded me um, that kind of what he was doing there was it was really similar to City Lamette's um, Dog Day Afternoon, where it goes from a, a steady uh, cinematic, well lit ga- gaff shot to a handheld dock style. And uh, I think he employed that a few times to perfection. Um, and like I said, the long, the long shots that he had as well. But yeah. the difference between the handheld and a dolly, I don't know if it was on a dolly, if it was on tripod or whatever, but, you know, the cinematic shots versus more of a, a dock where you felt like you were, you know, a uh, fly on the wall. So that really played uh, into the whole tension of the movie as well. Sorry to cut you off. No, 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 it's okay. No, no, just, no. Excellent points. I don't know. I don't know how he – he says it's not a horror film. He says uh, – <laughs> uh, Freakin said – oh, so, like, I was – I know Eugene read this. Freakin said this was a dark romance or a black romance. But this, this is a horror film, right? <laughs> this is 100% a horror film. If you want a dark romance, is Natural Born Killers. That is a dark There you romance. go. Okay. Live yeah, with yeah. that. I can, yeah, yeah, I can agree with that. That is this fits into horror this fits into horror categories hands down. <laughs> and because the thing is, is horror horror, and I've said it before, it's the largest category. There are more films and horror movies than any other genre out there yes. because horror can blend into so many Everything. different genres. Now there are certain requirements for it to be a horror movie, for one being like the bad death on it. People die in comedies and action movies and all this other kind of stuff, but the bad death is something like characters don't want to get stabbed to death. They don't want to get eaten alive. They don't want to get all this other kind of stuff. So when you take a film, for example, Alien, Alien is a slasher movie in space. Instead of Freddy Krueger or Jason, you have the Xenomorph. People see it more as a science fiction film, but it is horror. Jurassic Park is another horror film. It can be a family-friendly horror film, but it is still a horror film because you have monsters that are chasing after people trying to eat them. Dude, like, the, like, like, like his, Sam Jackson's arm like fell on Laura. Dern. <laughs> yeah, okay? like the bloody stump of his arm fell on Laura Dern. The dude on the oh, uh, uh, Gennaro on the toilet. Okay, <laughs> I can't think of a worse way to go than bitten in half by a Tyrannosaurus Rex. Yeah, <laughs> be a dope if I had to fucking go like before my time, make it be because I got bitten in half by a Tyrannosaurus Rex. <laughs> make it memorable. And, yeah. th- and this, I mean, this, I mean, our, our the, the way the film, you know, in in its climax, in its third act, you know, the the room is covered in tinfoil. These two have done things to themselves under this, you know, this. They completely snapped, 
end up feeding into one each other. I mean, this is definitely I've I've seen horror films that end is nicer than this one. <laughs> <laughs> I don't no, see. I know. Don't so. take the brown acid. <laughs> yeah, it's a it's a statement on crystal meth too. I mean, they're on crystal meth. So <laughs> uh, the, uh, the, the toothless and the ruthless. Yeah. <laughs> oh. Twickers. Oh, God. I know. I know. Some people. Some people don't want to put themselves in the horror category because it's known as a lesser genre. It's bullshit. Oh, but sure. they'll see it as a lesser genre because yep. uh, Sundance and the Academy doesn't like Silence of the Lambs is a psychological thriller, not a horror <laughs> film. Oh, <laughs> bullshit! Give me a, give me a fucking break. Yeah, get get out is a thing on society. It's all no, no. It's it's okay to be a horror film. Embrace it. People love you have some of the most diehard fans are horror. Who's a diehard fan of romantic comedies? <laughs> right. <laughs> My wife. Amen. I'm walking out with a naughty hill t-shirt on. It's like, oh. I can't wait to get home and watch the notebook again. <laughs> <laughs> You're married, Jay. What are you talking about? <laughs> I have a very sad existence. <laughs> <laughs> Embrace it. That's all I'm saying. Make a horror film. By all means, it's awesome. Embrace it. You have fans that will see it. They will love it. Just just embrace it. I, I think that beyond, beyond obviously, with the, the physicality that we see in the film, the things that these people do to each other, the the creepiness, the actual, you know, the, the, cla- the claustrophobia of the motel room that they're in, because it quickly becomes this prison that's closing in on them, feeding into their paranoia and the things that, the things that we see. But... I think what made it ultimately scary for me, and I think it was a personal experience because this hit me on a level, is that I was in a relationship with a with a uh, person who was who who did suffer from, uh, I would say, toxic codependency, and there was something about their relationship, something about the way they spoke to each other and how they seemed to feed. It was like a negative feedback loop that yeah. just kept perpetuating itself. Then, you know, they, they, I give you what you need to give me what I need. And we just keep going and going and going until, you know, the place is on fire. And so, <laughs> and I, that, that spoiler alert. That's, well, I mean, I'm not going to tell them what, you know, what happens, but um, it's, that struck a personal chord for me. You know? did it? It's dark and it is, it's, it's about psychosis and it's about codependency and it's about drug use and it's about, you know, it's also cultural, social, political, maybe a little bit as well. Um, I'm assuming the, the writer of the, uh, the play had all of those elements because it, it comes across that way. At least Billy presented it that way. So um, it's dark, but I don't, I, I don't, it's super dark, but I don't, I don't know if the romance you know, that's fine that it's happening, but that's such a small part of everything. It's more about, like you were saying, the, the tug of war that goes on between those yeah. two characters, especially when she's towards the end where she's answering the question where she's going down the rabbit hole. And it's like, oh, it's over now because now yeah. her life's intertwined with his what you she know, pitches, what she pitches off, what she pitches off the edge of it. Yeah, there's only one direction this can go. And it's really sad. It's a sad movie, uh, especially the ending. Um, but yeah, it's full on horror, though. I mean, it's horrific. The whole movie is, is hard to watch in a good way. <laughs> so, but he's he's just such a great, great 
uh, director. He uh, in his movies, the lighting is always just. Um, I don't know if you guys have seen Sorcerer, but oh yeah, yeah, that's yeah, uh, the Rembrandt lighting that he does is just next level. And he wrote and directed, co-wrote and directed The Exorcist, so he gets yeah. the yeah, yeah, he gets <laughs> to call it a dark romance. And it's a dark sure, romance, whatever. people. Compared so. to The Exorcist, yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, right? <laughs> you have to be the Father Mary. <laughs> Mom, hook up. So. Uh, it, was, it was really cool to watch you guys kind of talk through that because, JL, you mentioned being in a type of relationship like that. Yeah. I, too, was in a relationship where we fed off of each other's negativity till it became a very Sorry. bad thing. And, you know, getting out of that is great. Obviously, the room the room didn't wind up on fire, so that's a right. good thing. Uh, <laughs> I'm not even going to go into that, but yeah. so, <laughs> that wasn't a no. But continue. <laughs> but so, like you know, seeing seeing it from like years and years down the road, and looking back on that relationship, and that person still being the same way that they were now, and me getting out of it, like I can look at it from your point of view, and then McLean, you're like, yeah, but it also had these other aspects to it. That's what makes a good movie. Right. You got the you got the people that are going to hold on to that toxic codependence that is just absolutely not something that is healthy for either parties involved. Even if there is a healthy individual, um, if they pour their heart into the relationship and the other person is extremely toxic and codependent, it can suck that person that's totally not that way into it, and it can become very bad very quickly. But you've also got the other aspects of this that you can look at that make it claustrophobia. Something sure. that um, I got mm-hmm. stuck in a tube when I was really little. So I have a problem with real tight spaces still to this day. And so watching this movie made me feel claustrophobic. Like I was stuck in that room. I was like, get me the fuck out of this room or I'm going to explode. And and then you get down from that and then it brings you up on something else. So having so many different tropes kind of mixed into one, but they play off of each other in such a way that it could really reach out to anybody that's watching it is a very, very cool way to do this movie. It worked out very well. Is she agoraphobic? Is that the term as well? Where she's afraid of like uh, afraid, afraid of the outside. Of outside. outside. Yeah. yeah. I think that I think the characters as well. Maybe it's not stated, but it feels that way. Where it feels, she just, yeah, it feels she doesn't like, want to leave the room. Phobic. That's for sure. It's it's phobic to me as the as the as the story progresses. I was called uh, as the story progresses in this one. The environment around it becomes more chaotic, but it becomes it. It. I mean, the room doesn't change size, but it it begins to feel smaller. Like their <laughs> yeah. world is like they are. Re- being themselves into their own place and the world it just keeps getting smaller and smaller and it's just them and it's just them and it's just them until eventually you know what happens and some of that's framing as well he, yeah. he does that where he's he's like that's another Sidney Lumet trick is to if you want to create tension slowly push it in with push each it. it's like a longer <laughs> lens throughout like this is, yeah everything correct because there a lot of the other shots were in from the other room or in the bathroom you could see but towards the end they're just like almost extreme close-ups it's like oh you know spaghetti western or whatever and the lighting too i think yeah, is it is it blue or green i forget but uh, gra- gra- actually i think like a oh it's the green. it's the bug killer blue like, like that like that greenish yellowish greenish yeah, yeah, it was, yeah. yeah. <laughs> makes you feel sick very sick so. yes but you know freaking did that and we can see that in the exorcist the juxtaposition between the rest of the house and in the room and yep. in the bedroom where the action was taking place, it was almost like walking into a different world. 
So, and mm-hmm. I, I that always kind of, I always was like, it's so weird. Why does, because you know, as a young person watching the actions, I was kind of like, why is the room blue? That doesn't make any sense. Why, why do they have blue lights in this one and normal lights in the rest of the house? But, uh, and then of course, you know, having, you know, understanding, I was like, ah, I get and that's it. a, yeah. that's another moment when you see Pazuzu when she, and, and, yeah. and she, and Reagan breaks free. Um, and there's the, the layered shot and all the, the little bit of foreshadowing that evolves that is in the movie. And that's another show where it's like, <laughs> and that movie, I mean, obviously it's like the shining that movie is, I don't know. It's, it's the greatest horror movie of all time. So, but <laughs> go back um, to that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> but back to bug. I would say I, w- I would say the thing, but that's just me. And the yeah. thing is incredible too. <laughs> We're talking about Hawks version, right? <laughs> no, I no. Last Carpenter's week. Carpenter's thing is a masterpiece. Rob Rob uh, stuff and that was just. We'll make we'll make sure to cut that as a soundbite of you saying that his thing was the masterpiece <laughs> no that that, yeah. that movie that movie is just as important to me as the exorcist and the shining as well the thing is so classic. hey i'd like classic. to before we, before we get off of this one i'd like to uh-huh. read a summary written by um, a fan on imbd jay sperlin this is just a clip from it it says uh angus white lives in a remote hotel in oklahoma her life is what it is she works at a honky tonk she has a lesbian friend they do coke sometimes. She needs a man like she needs a hole in the head. <laughs> that's a nice little. That's yeah. a that's an elevator pitch. <laughs> that's what that was pitched it, to Billy in the elevator. It's, it's actually really well written. It goes on yeah, for it's, a long time. He's nailing it. So yeah, yeah. it's true. Well, that, that's what struck me on this one was just the the na- the nature of their relationship because there is a there is a level of ambiguity. That plays with you know these are unreliable narrators they each suffer from their own problems and each one of them feels that they can heal the other or find you know fill a void with the other one and it just descends into absolute madness um and watching people self-destruct is always very difficult to watch and i'll say that anybody who has been through something or touched on a relationship like this it can be tough it's like um they're you know we've and I may show this one sometime, may not, you know, to, some movies are difficult for, for specific people. Um, I know this one would, this one had me kind of cringy and a couple of things just kind of like, Oh yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah. And it wasn't just the physical violence. It's just a matter of, you know, cause once you've been there and once you've experienced it, you could put yourself in those characters shoes more readily. And that makes it all the more terrifying. It's like, cause you can actually say like, yeah, I can, I can fathom how he can get to that point. I really do. You would know um, how you would react, but that's what makes it even more cringy is that yeah, you react you know, that way. If the, if the brakes came off, I can see how we can get from point A to point, you know, yeah. chaos. So, which <laughs> yeah. I think, you know, rings true. I, I mean, this one, it, have if you have, if you don't have the stomach, I, I don't recommend it. But if you do, definitely give it a swing because the performances watch are outstanding. Yes. Watch Holy it. Holy shit. Yes. I never would have thought, Ashley, if I had not seen The Passion of Darkly Noon, I never would have thought Ashley Judd was capable of this level of intensity. She's phenomenal. She is she great. Amazing. She was great. Totally so great. Under, just so underappreciated, but mm-hmm. man. Well, I think that's that it, Harvey Weinstein and all that bullshit, you know? So she was one that was caught up in that early. Um, she right. wouldn't. She wouldn't play, and they ruined her career. She's a hell of an actor. Uh, that movie showcase this movie bug showcases her her chops and it's you're just right there with her you don't you're not thinking about 
<laughs> the judge. Yeah. It's, it's she. She nails it. She's a really good actor. Yeah, well, we talked we, we talked quite a bit about uh, obviously you know William Friedkin who directed this one and uh, he's a you know major 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 director we absolutely love uh, with a body of work that's just you know stellar, but I want to ask the audience um, what is your favorite William Friedkin film because he's directed many you know and you know, obviously The Exorcist being one of the most you know mainstream well known ones but we'd love to hear. Which one you like? Because maybe it's one in one of his other ones. Maybe this one. Maybe something else. Let us know in the comments below, or hit us up at weekendhorror@gmail.com. Send us those emails because Alex loves to read them because he has nothing better to do. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Well, you <laughs> you it know, used to be funny, and now it's like you. Have now no it's idea. just sad. You have no idea. I have so idea. much, have so much less time. Than I need you in contact. <laughs> It's, it's so not moment. true. Like my wife's about to give birth in like two weeks, maybe tops. Like, mm. so congratulations! You need, con- you need human contact that is something other than kids. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> other than tiny, I'm the only guy. I have fucking three daughters with the fourth on the way, and my wife and two sisters and my mom. And like, I get to hang out with my dad. Like, that's cool. But we just sit there. And we're like, man, we're fucking outnumbered. And it's, yeah, yeah. see how did that all stem from sending me an email? Anyways, email me at weekendhorror gmail dot com. Awesome. Oh man. Okay, Eugene, what do we have up next? I've been all right. Up. We got this little gem. So we got like an iconic horror, and then we get like something that's re- like real and intense, and then we're gonna shift gears completely. Fuck yeah. We have released May 29th, nineteen eighty one. Dead and Buried. <laughs> it was directed by Gary Sherman, and it stars James Fat Fartini. Sure, James. Yeah, Barry, James Fartini. James Fartini. Everybody knows him. Sounds like a delicious, like Italian dish, right there. But James Fartini. Fartini. Anderson. See, now I'm going to start getting hungry. And Melanie Anderson, Jack Alberson, and Dennis Redfield, and Nancy Locke with Robert England. Ding, ding, ding. Is that cool? Yeah. Ding, ding, ding. And He's great in it. He's really good in it. Creepy. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> and basically, in a nutshell, you have a group of people start to realize that the Family, the Undertaker family, is actually reanimating corpse to create a zombie army. Should I go in and this? Matt. Shit gets real. So <laughs> it's true. I saw this probably about 10 years ago for the first time, and I was loving it from the start. Uh, everything about it, the New England setting, which I believe they they shot that in Northern California, but whatever. Um, the mortician aspect as well it was really fun. And uh, but then the second twist, I don't know if we're going to reveal everything for everybody was just and that was a lot of fun. And it, like everybody, it was well cast and um, just I don't want to say atmospheric, but um, it's just a solid, you know, indie kind of B horror movie from the 80s. And I would definitely suggest checking it out. It's it's cool. And the, uh, the opening scene is really fun, too. Um you know, whenever you, you can incorporate the camera into, you know, your film, it, it lends oh, to cool. some some cool mm-hmm. transition shots and some fun editing. But that's a, a fun twist there at the beginning where you're like, oh, okay, 
Here we go. And you're with the 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 main character. I don't know if that's Mr. Fartini or whatever. Um, he's great. Uh, you you really the sheriff. You're you're with him, and it's like yeah, this is I'm I'm totally with this, and it feels uh, like a Stephen King um, story, and uh, you know, being set in New England, that's kind of hard to avoid that, but. Uh, I really enjoyed it. And the practical uh, work, too, what was fun. Um, I don't know who did the effects, but uh, really cool stuff. Definitely check it out. Uh, it was Stan Winston. Oh, Winston did that? Oh, well, yeah. yeah. <laughs> no shit, yeah. man, right? He's pretty cool. He's done some good stuff. He's all right. You might want yeah, to Google he's... him, Stan Winston. <laughs> <laughs> he's done one or two good movies, you know, just... <laughs> Oh, sorry. <laughs> no, but, but seriously, this, you start a movie off the way that I mean, I don't know how much we're going to reveal here, but you just don't first... reveal the ending. Just that's, okay, that's, yeah. that's you, not you, reveal the yeah. ending. First of all, to start it off, New England in itself is a horror. You could just set a camera in New England and that's a horror movie. I, yeah. No, love to the fans in the East Coast, but I hate the East Coast, the Northeast Coast. So that's terrifying. And then somebody gets <laughs> somebody gets surrounded. Click, click. <laughs> we just lost Maine, Boston, Shit, Maine, what Connecticut. Is that, like no big deal. People. Yeah, no. <laughs> you could like skip across Rhode Island in ten minutes. But, uh, <laughs> Shout out to my peeps in Rhode Island. I, I got a lot of friends in Rhode Island. <laughs> Do you really? Yeah. You know everybody. I, I was yeah. You meet you meet most of them. And Rhode Island does not mess around. Um, well, I, I, I'm I, in I, a band exactly. and we tour and we hit Rhode Island and Rhode Island does not mess around. I'll just I wouldn't talk shit to Rhode Island's face. That's for sure. But <laughs> but you're right. The setting you, you put that in the Northeast, uh, especially in New England and in Maine, people are either really, really nice. Come on into my house or. Get off my lawn, kind yeah. and and the people that you do meet, um, they're all kind of off. I mean, I love I love New England, but they're off. Yeah, I don't know if it's like back to the Puritans or something. it's weird. It's like they're like pilgrim <laughs> blood or something. But they're like hardworking right. people, but they're like fuck off. Yeah, no, no. <laughs> there, yeah. it's it's a whole other vibe there. It's like it you know, being being the West for us. When you go East Coast, they're just like <laughs> you know, no. what, what do you want? What do you want? And it's like whoa. Yeah. I want to look at the man. menu. I just want, <laughs> just want fish and chips. I'm hungry. Leave me alone. I didn't study for this test. Came here for the clowder and you got fucked up. So, but yeah. they do nail. I don't, and I, I doubt probably any of those actors are from New England. But they, it, they that I whole, mean, they hit it. That whole aesthetic. It's like I said. I, I'm pretty certain it was filmed in California, but doesn't feel that way at all. No, at all. Mm -hmm. no, I got it. So. Yeah, and then and then you get into a deal where somebody gets beaten and set on fire right away. You know it's going to be good. right. They right from the oh, job. Yeah, you're like, yeah. okay. No, but no, this film was like, yeah. it was it was so underappreciated, and that was oh. the thing that like this is one of those ones when I started getting into kind of I guess you could say like indie or underground horror movies uh, that I came across pretty early, and it was like wow, nobody had ever known what I was talking about, so I always looked like a weirdo. I was like that one movie, and so. I wish it would have gotten more traction. I feel like it could probably start making some rounds now and even still hold up to what I remember it as. Yeah, it's unsung. Um, and it's on most of the streaming sites. People should definitely find it. it. It should be one of those kind of midnight movies. It's not within that kind of circuit. But yeah. that a movie like that, for me, at least my aesthetic with, you know, a lot of the psychological elements and then uh, also personally uh, in my 
my day job, I, I work at a funeral home. So that was fun with that whole element of the movie where it's like, oh, okay. how far are we yeah. into this stream right now? <laughs> <laughs> We're like an hour and 20 minutes. Uh, no, almost, almost over an hour. Yeah, yeah. And you just mentioned that your day job is working at a fucking funeral. <laughs> I way, will bury I, you. By the way, I do apologize. My internet apparently just like shit the bed there for a moment, and I vanished like mid sentence. We so, know. Uh, listen, just just because you think of me as just you know the the stand in guy, we can we can run this without you too. Yeah, Alex nailed it. Yeah, we don't even, if you want to just check out, it's cool. <laughs> Alex has got we finished, this. We finished your thought. It was okay. <laughs> we just we just rolled right with it. They're all they're all grown up. We only oh. talked about you. <laughs> no, this thing would crash and burn if you had me run this thing. Anyway. <laughs> I think it did. <laughs> this, is, this is the definition of coming in hot. <laughs> well definitely uh I, I what i was about to say is it did feel very king like felt like a kind of a, a mix between king and lovecraft that definitely oh, would have gotten lovecraftian with this yeah. one um the sense of you know the sense of the obviously new england areas where where lovecraft grew up in uh in rhode island um i it, i all throughout the entire film i got vibes of shadow over insmith as though a member of the kind of like as a matter of fact there was a film um there was a film that came out many i think in 2000 2006, I think, called Cthulhu, which was also a take on Shadow over Innsmouth about a, a man who comes home to you know the the town that he left and winds up. <laughs> there you go. See, hold on, hold on. Let's get this rolling. Oh, yeah. Oh, oh what oh, were you saying? There we go. <laughs> he hasn't even seen it. There we go. <laughs> it's literally interesting. Yeah. But yeah, I got that. I got that sensation quite a bit. Just the Shadow over Innsmouth is one of my favorite ones. Um, and, why, is, uh, why is there any time there's videos that are like Cthulhu behind clouds or like Cthulhu esque? It's always just I immediately picture the Northeast Coast. Oh yeah, yeah, that's, oh, where, yeah. He that's <laughs> where he lives. That's where he lives. I mean, you write what Yo, you know. Even like anything that he lives in the Boston Bay, like the Hobbit. Like, he's in the like, Hobbit. He's in the Hobbit. He forgot where he lost his khakis. We he don't never know let, he, he, never left the house. he never left the house because he couldn't find his khakis. <laughs> we don't know if he's walking outside without pants or. <laughs> but yeah, I absolutely, I, I adored this movie because um, I, I mean, it was a throwback for me. It felt like that was the inspiration for this, and I love the story. Uh, and following the cop around as he's going through this, this, you know, the sheriff is going through this investigation, the stuff that's going on that kind of. Is there a you know what's the grand conspiracy? Then we reveal the big conspiracy, then the big twist, and then the second twist, like you mentioned, which we won't spoil here. But the old um, but you know, and it got me because it, it it feels very much obviously you you know the the viewer, the audience member knows it knows that something is going on because you get you see these moments that the sheriff is unaware of. But as the sheriff is uncovering more and more and more, you think it's gonna wind up in a particular place, and it does not. And there was a that's what I dug about this one is that it was completely unexpected the first time that I saw this. And not to mention, you know, I, you could see a young Robert Anglin, you get to see a young Barry Corbin, you get to see, holy shit, a friend of, a friend of mine, uh, Glenn Morshower, in like the one of the youngest roles I've ever seen him in because he actually had a full head of hair. Uh, he, he had hair and he had like a varsity <laughs> jacket on from the high school. And I'm like, holy Rude. shit. <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, it was, it was an absolute blast. Writing was solid. Acting was solid. 
um, especially at the big twist. I didn't think um, uh, I actually lost it. Um, I don't want to mispronounce his name because now all I can hear is Farentino, James Farentino's Fartino, James Farentino's reaction. I was about to say his name, and all I could hear was Fartino, Fartino, Fartini. And what? And I just, I just know he's, he's going to hear it, and he's going to come and punch me in the face. Jesus. It's but like three years later, he shows up on your doorstep. That guy was in the fucking mafia. You. <laughs> You're going to open your door one day, and there's going to be a 73-year-old fucking mafia man there, and he's like, Fartini sends his regards. And Fartini! <laughs> awesome, awesome. But yeah, there. Um, and the, th- the big thing I did, it was, uh, I find it a very... I find a beauty in uh, a sense of cosmic dread. Cosmic dread is so difficult to, and while I say cosmic dread, I mean, I don't mean like from outer space, you know, although Lovecraft, you know, pretty much invented the cosmic, the idea of cosmic dread, the idea of things from outer space coming here, things, you know, larger than us and you know, things we can't understand. But I also entail cosmic dread, or I also look at cosmic dread as an overarching sense over the entire film. That there is an uneasiness, an unsteadiness, that something is very, very wrong in the in just beyond the vanishing point. And it's always there. Like uh, I would say, akin to the Tao's hum. If you were you know, if you were able to pick that up, it's it's there in everything you do. Sometimes you can put it in the background, sometimes it's full, it's right in your face, and you're like, you it drives you crazy. I love that. And it's so fucking hard for directors to pull this off because I've seen so many try to do it. And then wind up focusing way too much on the environment, way too much on sound, way too much on lighting, and or way too much on acting to try and sell it. We're all uneasy, you know. We do like that, but the the and to to, to strike that balance is one of the toughest things um, I've ever seen. And the way uh, uh, the way Gary Sherman pulls it off, absolutely fucking brilliant. It's excellent pacing. Yes, it's yeah, it's just it's a, it's a great movie. I there I don't have any complaints about it, and it's fun that the time you know the early eighties was a little heady, um, you know, but there's a lot of good movies that were made around that period. Obviously, mm-hmm. you just look at this. I, I like this one. It didn't feel like it was trying, although it is classified as a slasher. I don't think this was competing. Yeah, I don't think I, I don't think this was competing. In my opinion, I just I don't think this was competing with Friday the Thirteenth or uh, Halloween or Texas Chainsaw Massacre or The Burning or any or any of that stuff. I really don't. I think that this was, I think this was mis misgenred. Yeah, yeah, uh, agreed. And it's probably they would probably say it's a slasher during that time period just to help sell tickets. Ah, on it okay. just yeah, just to get that because they were so hot. But no, this is there's nothing slasher about it. Mm-mm. Mm-mm. Yeah, and so <laughs> <laughs> well, case closed. That's it. Nothing, nothing slasher about it. Okay, <laughs> yeah. That... No, I mean not even the kills are slasher esque that I can remember. Um, no, I wouldn't even say uh, that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But I think I think you're probably right. It was a, a marketing ploy because um, slashers were massive uh, that year, right? So, and, and I have to, and, and um, even if I mean, obviously, you know, what I love the the effects of it, uh, you know, the work of Stan Winston, and I think the film gets so little fanfare. I don't know unless you're a diehard with Stan Winston fan. Most people probably don't know that he worked on this. Movie. I didn't, obviously, yeah. um, but I remembered it being 
top notch effects. Oh but, yeah. Um, I didn't yeah. know it was Stan. Um, but yeah, he, I mean, Stan's one of my favorites, obviously. I, it's not hard to like his stuff. It's super cool. So, there's just people that know monsters, and he's one of them. You know, I don't know if you know, he, he was, his face was uh, what they used for um, the Monster Squad Wolfman. That was Stan's face. So I could totally see that. Yeah, I, I didn't look at it. Look at it. Oh, yeah, Stan. Now it makes sense. Which is rad. I'm sh- as you know, the monster maker. That's kind of the creme de la creme is the the wolf man. So, yeah. Oh man, I can't everybody imagine. has a cool transition. I can't. It's been Ed, he pa- It's been 13 years since he passed away. Yeah, wow. it's unfortunate. Wild. He was way too young. He, he only got the one movie right with Pumpkinhead. So, sucks. Yeah. It, God, but, Pumpkinhead was good. One but, of my favorites. His legacy, though, the movies that he worked on, you mentioned Jurassic Park and others. It's, you know. I yeah. mean, this is, I mean, directors he's worked with. He's worked with Tim Burton, James Cameron, John Carpenter, John Favreau, uh, Frank Marshall, Steven Spielberg, Robert Zemeckis. And oh, yeah. I mean, the list just the, the list going on, going and on, on and on and on and on. on. Um, and none of it's ever hokey. You can't poke to or you know point to one of his pieces of work and be like, "Oh, that didn't work." That, especially like Pumpkinhead, which he he actually wasn't involved with a lot of the Pumpkinhead creation, but that's such a cool. I mean, I've loved so. it. And I, I mean, I still dig that one. And I honestly, I mean, I got to throw it out there. Probably one of Lance Hendrickson's best performances. Yeah, he's very emotional. Uh, he was. It was. It was range. I was kind of like, "There's an arc here." For this guy, and it was like because normally Lance Henderson, you have character actor, he does his name's Bishop, you know, he has, yeah, he's, he's more often the plot jeep than he is, you know, go servicing the plot. And I really, I mean, I saw this one and his interactions with his son, and of course, after his, you know, what happens to his kid, and his interactions with the teenagers and the, the locals around the area, then going through the arc of I want vengeance to what have I done, you know, I just. And I that witch, it. the witch oh, yeah. was oh, yeah. so good in her house and all that. The gaff for all of that. And also the hillbilly house, the gaff. And that was so cool. And the pumpkin patch, too, was, was oh, great. Oh, definitely. Great <laughs> set design and, and gaff. And there's some really cool uh, cinematography, some camera moves within that movie as well. It is unsung. Um, a lot like Dead and Buried, you know. It's just... Yeah. People that were into horror, my friends and I, we knew of it because it was this new creature where you didn't get a lot of new creatures. But the 80s, once again, produced a number. Uh, you know, Alien was, what, 79. But then, um, you know, you had Pumpkinhead and you had the Cenobites in 87 and all of that. So it was really cool to see these new monsters come forth. And um, they kind of had, you know, a, a their grip if you will in that culture of 1980 especially the centibites but yeah dead and buried it, it's unfortunate that it's not one of those movies that's like oh yeah everybody knows that you know b movie um maybe it was just you know mislabeled and it was that simple i don't know any of the, the history behind it but um whenever that i see that i i've watched that i'll, I'll punch that in i've watched that movie so many times it's it never gets old I'm definitely gonna have to stream that one in our Discord channel. I, I, I want other people to see it because not not. I mean, I, I when I put this up, it, when we talked about it, I had people talk to me or you know, message me on our Discord server when I you know because at the end of every episode we talk about the next ones we're going to talk about. When I mentioned Dead and Buried, people were like, "What is that?" It's like never like you know people like like I think only two people I think said, "Oh, you're going to talk about this one." And everyone else is kind of like, "I've never even heard of it." 
And and it was wild because um, I, I saw it for the first time a few years, a couple years, or it was a, it was a few years back. I think it was in uh, in 2017. I saw it for the first time because I just happened to come across it, and I remembered it because the that cover, as you can see, as, uh, as a lot of audience can see the poster. Mm-hmm. I remember seeing that on a VHS case at Blockbuster, and always wondering what yeah what is this movie? Because that's that, I mean, come on, who doesn't have that memory as a kid going through Blockbuster? I'm going to go to the horror section. The Company of Wolves was mine. The Company of Wolves, which uh, I, I, I watched, the, you know, uh, yeah, a few the, years back. But that was one with the with the the mouth coming out, the kind of Rick Baker. Um, but that was one where it's like, oh, I wonder what this movie's like. And Angela, Angela Lansbury was in it. It was like, what? Nah. And then uh, uh, I think Monkey, Monkey Shines is another Monkey one. Monkey Shines, yeah. That's another it's totally the, unsung. Slapping Monkey with the uh, straight razor. It was like, holy shit. And I think yeah. the only other one was Evil Dead. Evil Dead 2. Because it was the skull with the eyes in it. And I was like, that's not normal. As a kid, you're kind of like, what the hell? And that, just, that might be the greatest poster of all time. And that's also maybe the best movie of all time, too. Man, you, you knew Blockbuster at a different time than I did. That's crazy. Yeah, I knew before Blockbuster. I knew when it was all independent mama pops. And I remember Blockbuster coming in. They pushed all of them out. And then Hollywood videos pushed them out type of thing. But, yeah, it was nice back in the day when it was mom and pop. That's um, I used to live in the middle of nowhere cool. up north of Minnesota. So we had a lot of mom and pop shops. But it was just probably a decade later when I was looking at movies. What is it? Is, but, is there one Blockbuster left? In a, in yeah, a, I think that one actually just got shut down. Oh, did it? I think it oh just went no! Yeah. It must. It must have got shut down like this week. It was. They... I mean, it was pretty recent, but it was definitely a story in the news. I got a little notification on my phone from Bing. It was like, "Hey, um, uh, Blockbuster's gone." You can see the pandemic. You know, is going to take a lot of stuff, and that was such a niche. <laughs> thing it was they, it was strictly nostalgia that's all that's going on there you know what i was gonna say earlier i want a copy of the shining and a copy of dr sleep on vhs with a little tv so i can sit in a room by myself with a bowl of popcorn and watch those two the shining right over here on VHS. <laughs> really i just i just googled it i don't i don't see it as i think i think the most recent i have is march 16 2021 no um March thirty first, so yeah, world's largest blockbuster store, the world's last blockbuster store, more popular after the Netflix documentary on it. Um, oh, there was a whole thing on how it was getting shut down. They had uh, maybe it was, where'd they, you get was, your information from, huh? The fucking internet, which is just all bullshit anyway. So I suppose if you read it on the internet, then it's true. There was yeah. two for a long period of time. Yeah, one in Alaska one shut down. Yeah, there's one in but Oregon. There, yeah, that the one in Oregon was there was the last one in, one. in Alaska, but in, in a yeah in Alaska, and so I think one of the two of them shut down because the last Maybe. blockbuster they have a Twitter account. It's no. hilarious if you ever <laughs> are on Twitter and you're bored because they just talk about like, hey, a customer pulled up in the parking lot. We're so excited. Oh no, they're just divorced parents passing their kids back. <laughs> <laughs> oh man. <laughs> deal yeah i feel like jail's diving into this pretty deep i i, I did because I, I, that broke my heart when you said that it had closed i'm sorry and i had to look and I, i'm not seeing anything on it says all i see is they have um Listen, you, jumped, you jumped my lines earlier i had to fuck with you a little bit San, here, so. sandy harding who has been running it since 2004 says he has no intention of closing the store um it continued to operate Did without it, today? Did, it, it didn't lay off staff during covid nine you know covid 19 it hosted sleepovers via Airbnb in September 
a local brewery released a dark ale called The Last Blockbuster. And then there was uh, the documentary in 2020. Um, so, yeah, I, I don't think it's I don't think I think it's still open. I can't you heard it here it's... first, people. Listen, I've been wrong every day of my life, so it could be true. <laughs> <laughs> I want to rent out that blockbuster. That's what I want to do, because you can rent it out and you can stay there and you can watch any movie that's on the shelf. <laughs> <laughs> that would be cool. Why are, we not you this, can eat. why are we not making this a Patreon only content? Let's do it. <laughs> Us and Blockbuster on like a bed watching yeah, a movie, yeah. <laughs> some popcorn and stuff. <laughs> oh, that would be that would be awesome though. That would be awesome. But we did mention so we did mention some Stan Winston who's done just some iconic stuff. We're talking Jurassic Park and Aliens and the Terminator, uh, Terminator Two, and just this whole list. What I actually want to ask the audience is. What is your favorite work by Stan Winston? Like I said, so many iconic stuff. What is your favorite work by Stan Winston? The Lego so comment movie. below or email us at weekendhorror at gmail.com. And I'm actually curious, what is y'all's favorite work of Stan Winston? Oh, <laughs> yeah. It's hard, it's hard not to do the T-Rex. I mean, that's just... All of the stuff that they did in Jurassic Park is was just next level, even just the practical. And then obviously Stephen pushed it even further, but you know, with the visual effects that still hold up, it's crazy. They do. They really. That do. movie yeah, could have totally. Really that do. movie could have destroyed him. He put that out the same year that he put out Schindler's List. You go about that. Those movies came out the same year, but both of those movies could have ended him. Um, but yeah, it's hard not to pick that, but. Um, also, the Queen and Aliens is like I was gonna say Aliens. It's Aliens yeah. for me. Be- I mean, because the first Alien, you know, obviously, you know, Eugene mentioned it was slasher space, whereas this one was more yeah. of a horror sci-fi action film. Um, the Queen, the, the Queen was absolutely astounding when she when yeah when Ripley's there and she goes to the egg chamber, realizes where she's at, and then she looks up and that that bitch is just like. Oh, hey. holy shit. <laughs> but I do when she it. rips when she rips the sack, oh, that's yeah. like one of my favorite. Oh yeah, and all the fluids are coming out. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Delicious. Yeah, that that aliens was um, you know, as like Fangoria and you know, all the monster magazines that was they were building that up so much. Um, and I was so into that. <laughs> so yeah, that was massively influential as well. Uh Aliens, one of the best movies ever made. But Aliens is a really, really cool movie. Awesome movie. Love it. Um, but yeah, the Queen. That's tough. The Queen and the and the T-Rex. But Pumpkinhead, but he didn't really do Pumpkinhead. So he also did the dog and the thing, which he doesn't, I don't think he's credited. I such, yeah, I think um, that was the only part of it he that he helped Rob on. Yep. Just the it, dog. Okay. Yeah, it was just the dog sequence. It was the was the dog mutation sequence. Everything else in that film was all Rob. And that's so gross. That dog sequence is so gross. Coming out and just—I don't know if it's the dog aspect of it or whatever, because it's just that strikes a nerve. But well, there's that moment um, when, the, when, the head, when the head splits open oh. and the skull falls out. Mm-hmm. That's that mm-hmm. gets me every time. So yeah. that yeah, I mean, like we said, that's just such an incredible yeah. movie. That as well as The Shining were both panned and didn't make any money. I yeah. mean, The Shining was not well received, um, and it got nothing but bad reviews, basically. Um, and then the thing, I think it was released the same day as E.T. 
Yeah. 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 Whoops. Well, it's a pretty good movie. It's an incredible movie. Wholesome alien, not so wholesome alien. (laughs) Uh, But yeah, that got got panned as well. And then, you know, the Turner Networks or whatever the world. And then we saw it as kids. And then, you know, it is what it is because it's one of the greatest movies of all time. Doesn't matter what happened when it came out. They'll be watching that movie in 100 years from now. And and Stan's fingers are all over that. Rob obviously did the rest. At, he was like 19 years old or something when he did that. Yeah. But um, incredible. Uh, but yeah, that's I'd, I'd be interested to see because he's done so much, just such cool work over the years. And he, my favorite band is Tool, and Adam Jones, the guitarist, got his start with uh, with Stan. He worked on Jurassic Park and Terminator Two and Predator Two, um, and then he, he started Tool. And Stan was like, "Good luck. I'll see you in a couple of weeks." And uh, <laughs> <laughs> now he's worth like fifty million dollars. So weird how that. Which works. Yeah, I love Tool. Band, Tool. By the way. Yeah, when Tool, so their videos and all that, which Adam does, and he's a big influence on me in my directorial style because it's like you, you know you have Carpenter-esque stuff and you know Clyde Barker type stuff, but his videos. Um, it feels like Stan Winston, um, mm-hmm. you know, his, his fingertips are all over it. So, um, but yeah, Stan's rad. Rest in peace. That's really sad. Yeah, yeah definitely. Yeah, rest really in peace. Sad. All right, Alex, you've got our last one for the night. I sure do. We're already here. Wow, we, we arrived here pretty quickly. Um, we're going to talk it. about May 29, 2009, a movie called Drag Me to Hell, uh, written yeah. by... Sam and Ivan Raimi, I believe, oh. uh, directed by Sam Raimi, as always. <laughs> um, Saw it the day it came out. Nice. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not that guy, but I, I was excited that he was back in the genre, so I was there. Hell yeah. I was not yes. disappointed. Sorry, I jumped. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I'm excited. Can you tell? Yes. This one's starring Allison. See, I'm gonna Loman. Uh, Justin Long, Laura Raver, Dalip Rao, David Pamer. You got it. Adriana Barza. Uh, and yeah, I'm not even going to attempt those. But so. <laughs> a fartini. Yeah, I'm not going to fartini these guys last night. Oh, John Nova, Novakiv. Yeah. Anyways. Um, so, Great casting. Uh, seriously. Uh, you got a loan officer who is trying to make an impression at her job and an old woman who is trying to get the third home loan extension uh, situation. You know, everybody deals with that on a day-to-day. And they bump into each other, and the old woman essentially, after being denied, says, I'm going to curse you. And (laughs) so this poor fucking loan officer gets cursed, hallucinates, and shit gets fucking real. Um. Oh, and she gets real in all these movies, right? It, it really does. <laughs> it really does. It's kind of an it's kind we, of an inside. We we've, we've got we've I've got to make I've got to make the shit gets real t shirt for weeks. Seriously, yes, yeah, yes. yes. I've been trying to make it. It's real. You've got a two thousand no. You got a two thousand nine fucking Justin Long, um, and Allison Lohman is just fantastic in this. But the whole the whole like load on. The whole thing started out. I hadn't actually seen this honestly with you guys until you posted this. 
Um, but you you look at the beginning of it and you're like, oh my god, it's going to be like another one of these kind of horror movies, and then it turns out to be pretty good. It was excellent. I, I loved it. Oh. Just like just as McLean mentioned, um, you know, his return to form, and it it was just good. I, I was blown away because it had been so long, and I know that you were first in I mean, you, you were there for you were there uh, premiere. <laughs> yep, and, and Army Darkness. Sweet. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, it, he hits all the tropes and, you know, all of the things that he invented. Uh, all the classic horror, you know, tropes as well are there. It's just such a fun movie. Uh, like Alex was saying, it kind of comes off like it might be this kind of like rom-com or then it's, you know, that of that period, there were a lot of movies and some of them are decent, but it was more about the age of the cast members and that was the demographic that they were going for. That's not this movie. It just so happens that they're they're younger people. And Justin Long was really really good in it as well. And she was incredible. I, like I said, all of the it's it's really well cast and great acting. But he just he brought it back. And it, you know, there's uh, some new twists, if you will. But he he always goes back to the eyeball in the mouth. <laughs> I think that's like in his writer, like, you know, whatever movie he's going to do, if it's Titanic, it's like, okay, when does the eyeball go in the mouth? So <laughs> many, many things, many things in the mouth. And uh, which also cool. I mean, it's totally off subject. It's just, it's just a brief digression, but it was nice to see Fede Alvarez also do that. With the vomit in the mouth in the, in the remake, in the uh, remake or re, reboot, quill, uh, re, re, I, I guess. Reboot. Wow, uh, did you, are you okay? I, I think he called it a continuation of the story, but yeah, to see that in the 2013 Evil Dead, which was incredible. That was a great movie. And anybody yeah. that dislikes that movie, yeah, you're, you're wrong. wrong. You're wrong. Yeah. You're just wrong. That's a great movie. But, and it's uh, super cool that they were involved with it. And I love it that it's there's a new generation. I saw that opening night too. <laughs> but it, was, it, was, it was cool as hell because you know, we found out that, that uh, Ivan and Sam had actually written this before the Spider Man trilogy. And then, of course, Sam Raimi, you know, obviously, you know, Evil Dead, Evil Dead 2, Army of Darkness. And he's got, he's got this specific style of storytelling that I absolutely adore. And of course, shooting his films, which is just great. And then he goes and does you know, the studio picture of Spider-Man, and then we get a trilogy out of that. That's a long fucking time to not do the stuff that kind of calls to you. So diving back into, you know, it, in Dragon Hell was very much diving back into like the Raimi-verse and the idea of like, you know, the Deadites, the Necronomicon. Like, but this is like another aspect, the Lamia and that stuff. Yet the Lamia acts very much like a fucking Deadite. When they fucking when, when they're in the seance and they're holding Run, hands and the fucking up. goat. <laughs> <laughs> so put it in the goat. And, you know, but I mean, I love seeing it get back to it. And it felt like it it was just like it, it felt familiar. And it seemed like Sam was really kind of just letting himself go. Because it was just we I mean, I have it's been bubbling in his head for so long and it just explodes all over the screen. It's like we've got to do this now. And it was just a huge release. And, uh, you know, uh, Allison and Justin were amazing together. Their chemistry was amazing. And the um, and I don't want to mess up her name either. So I'm actually going to. Yeah. I'm actually going to, like, read it and make sure. Because uh, Lorna Raver. Lorna Raver as uh, Mrs. Ganoush. Uh, Freaky. Wow. Freaky. And from the moment moment she's sitting there coughing, like, (laughs) like, I was like, oh, come on, dude. To, you know. 
hand in the mouth, vomit in the mouth, you know, all just so, oh, the, no, it was the, it was the embalming fluids. The embalming yeah. fluids. <laughs> oh, my fucking God. Just, <laughs> not to mention just the most embarrassing if you walked into a fucking wake and did that. that it wouldn't, that's not realistic. <laughs> Hold on, we have a professional. Well, hang on a second, hang on a second. No, she was, uh, but they were gypsies. Mm-hmm. Was that that's embalming true. fluid or was that like bile? Uh, it's meant to be embalming fluid, but she probably wouldn't. As a gypsy, she probably wouldn't be embalmed. But for me, whenever there's stuff like that with the movies, it never pulls me out of the moment because I don't think it should be realistic. I think it should look right. And, um, you know, you, you, you think of like the Italians where it was such, uh, you know, their blood is like day glow and very pretty and all that. It's just like it should be artistic. I know that's warped and my movies are kind of like okay, that. Too, okay. so where, you work but, in that industry. Dead alive. That scene is not realistic. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's another one of my favorites as well. That was an underground movie, which probably does have you know where people do know that, and then obviously he went on to do some decent movies afterwards. But I think there were a few, there were a few uh, good ones. I think I think so. Yeah, yeah. yeah there's something something what, about something, something about some some little guys and little, like, yeah, and some, and some jewelry. Some like, munchkins. It's full of munchkins and dragons and shit. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But it's pretty cool. Check it out. Uh, wow, NANA says "Drag Me to Hell" is forgettable. But then again. And, and then again, NANA has as very, very specific taste when it comes to horror. Because I've been, I, it's my mission to find horror movies that he likes. Because he'll come in and join our watch parties on Discord. But he's kind of like, I'll be like, what would you think? What did, did you like? He's like, yeah, it's all right. What's his aesthetic? I think he d- really digs slashers, like like you know, like yeah, they're, they're, it's slashers. just straight. Sl- oh god, yeah. So there's there's no there's not tension like that. It's more you know. It, it, it almost psychological to me. So yeah. I could see that if you're looking for the, you know, intense violence and brutality, it's, it's not shot like that or cut like that. And so you're not going to find that like in a supernatural horror or something like that. Yeah. Not. Typically not. There's, there's a couple, but then it, it's borderline. Then it's what type of movie is it like alien, which is a horror movie, but um, you know, it deals with sci-fi, but most sci-fi to me is horror as well. So. And then, interestingly enough, the what's what's the big standout to me, obviously, was which is not common for Raimi, was the underlying message of this film. Should I say it? Eating disorders, right? <laughs> right? <laughs> Anorexia, bulimia, and it's about eating disorders, isn't it? All the stuff with the food and the mouth and the barf and the yeah. it's like yep. References to her weight loss and how much hard work yep. she's put in. I don't know. I don't know if that's what he intended or whatever. And that's what's beautiful about movies, is it's what it means to you and, and your interpretation, yeah. but it's hard not to say like this is about eating disorders. Uh, I mean, no, that's, it, that's it exactly is. what that, that is. was exactly what we were talking about. You you actually just jumped the script on that because that's that's exactly what we had discussed about. The underlying message of this. I didn't jump. I didn't jump the script. I was trying to cue to Eugene. No, 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 no. no. I'm saying, I'm saying, McLean jumped in. Oh, even yeah, yeah. I yeah, had no I, idea. I killed your moment. I killed it, man. No, he had no idea that that's what we were going to bring up. That's, that's what we, that's what it, we had already discussed. So it yeah. just feels that way. It, it's not. It's not it about. Is. It's not about the devil. It's not about. Uh, I don't see there's a lot of cultural stuff a little bit at the beginning with the gypsies and the bank and all that, but that's all superficial. That's, you know, that's, there's nothing there really. It's, 
it's the eating disorder in America as a girl, you know, it's got to be tough. Um, I have a cousin who dealt with it and it's, it's awful. She almost died. It's tragic, you know? Uh, So I took from that while I was watching that first time, like, Oh, it's about, that that is exactly what it is. Is because women are so judged on their looks Mm -hmm. on it as as men were not sure. A guy could be handsome, whatever, but women are solely or not solely, but primarily judged on their looks and that leads to unhealthy things like eating disorders that stuff that weighs that that weighs women down and it can be really difficult to deal with and it's it's shitty that society is like that and it shouldn't be because everybody has their own individual worth but it is a part of society and the great thing about horror is you can bring up stuff like that right. like you actually can it can you can bring up real issues that other genres like comedies or whatever just can't or our comedy has to make fun of it or anything like that but this can, can kind of go dive into it deeper and for me that I, way. it's fun to look at horror movies and try to find one that doesn't have uh you know context to it that there isn't an underlining you know metaphor or statement um you can just start from the wolf man to dracula and frankenstein the Wolf Man was written by a Jewish man. And then you, you know, it from there, it's like, oh, okay, uh, outsider who's Jewish and, you know, he's different. Frankenstein as well with Mary Shelley. Dracula is a foreigner, right? No, it's just like you can, The Night of the Living Dead clearly is a political movie, you know, and it's hard to find a horror movie that doesn't have some sort of, you know, other meaning, if you will. And I, at least Drag Me to Hell sure feels like it's it's a statement about american values that we well you can't kind of inflict on women you you know which is really coupling coupling it when the when the film came out it was um uh this was 2009 so what happened in 2008 so you had the 2008 uh crash of the housing market Oh, and sure. then and then we we kick this movie off with a with an old woman in distress over her home. Sure. So we've already set the stage of you know like the the evil corporate entity or the the evil bank entity, and of course the young woman who is trying to you know fight her way in a man's world is like, well, if you're able to, to make hard choices, you can get a promotion. I have to make hard choices, and then of course her image issues and the way she she thinks her boyfriend views her, the way she thinks the world views her, the way she views herself. And the fact that she already has low self-esteem because of her weight and all the shit that she went through. And then the guilt on top of this of having to deny, to deny this woman and putting herself ahead of another person's well-being. It's – I mean it, I think it's plain as – it's plain as, you know, it's plain as day that this plain was – Plain as apple pie. Plain as apple pie. This was a commentary on – this was a commentary on America. Interesting that it came after his work with – I mean – I don't know. I didn't read the script for this before. Obviously, they said that they, they wrote it before Spider-Man. But there have been stories about there about about uh, Sam's interactions with the studio and how he's really more kind of an indie guy that, you know, kind of like Romero. Romero, you know, didn't like dealing with the studio after Monkey Shines. And he was just like, I'm done with this bullshit. And I imagine the I imagine a similar experience uh, with Sam and with Sony, because I've heard so I've heard horror stories of dealing with Sony pictures. And, you know, there's kind of a thing here. These these faceless entities that kind of like decide what we can do and what we can't do. And they have no consideration for what we're trying to do, whether we're just trying to get by on a day to day basis or we're trying to make something that people will love. 
I don't know. Maybe I'm reading too much into it, but it no, felt very so. much. No, a, no. A, I felt I very much felt the commentary there, just like Kevin Smith and Tusk. Now, Tusk was a silly fucking movie based on a goddamn <laughs> podcast about a, about turn, turning Justin Long into a fucking well, Michael Parks turning Justin Long into a walrus on its surface. Yes. But the film also came out shortly. I mean, obviously, they discussed on the podcast. What would they do this? But there's a linking feature there because Kevin Smith always had major issues with his weight, and this came this this all took place after Too Fat to Fly, after his issue with Southwest Airlines. So, and then the whole film felt like like Kevin Smith's commentary on viewing somebody in this capacity, and viewing them from a uh, basically looking at somebody and boxing them in as a particular thing, and it just happened to be a walrus. <laughs> so, it could have been anything. I mean, I'm not saying I'm not saying it's causation. I'm saying that there seems to be an odd amount of correlation there, and it really stuck. Yeah, I mean, it really cemented drag me to hell in my mind as probably maybe tied for first with his best film because whereas Evil Dead was frenetic and you know wow like really really pushed you know you know it broke boundaries with that one. Evil Dead Two can't be horror you know like and then Army of Darkness Bruce Campbell just leading. It. That thing like a boss, huh? <laughs> I fucking love that moment. Uh, <laughs> what you want to say something, huh? Huh? <laughs> I love Bruce. But this one, it felt like he had something to say. Yeah, and I always love movies where where the director's got something to say because that's art. Just like Chasing Amy will always be my favorite Kevin Smith film because that movie he legit he had something he wanted to say, and that's what I got from Drag Me to Hell. And I think everybody was ew, everybody was on board, which is why the, the performances were magnificent. And then the gruesome gore, fuck, dude, some of it's kind of queasy, queasy-inducing. <laughs> yeah. the ending. You get turned off by the weirdest shit, dude. <laughs> you know, it's always a particular type. No, and it's like, it's always something weird. You're like, that was kind of queasy. Like, I don't, I don't feel that same way with this movie. Well, some of it, some of the movies like, that I could have uh, been like, that was some of it, I'm kind of like, oh, that's gross. They, you know, that's kind of disgusting. Dead Alive is the only one that has ever made me physically ill. Dead Alive made me physically ill. I don't understand. When the mother's at the dinner table and the fucking (laughs) ear falls off and she's just, um, dum, 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 I thought it was hilarious. I I mean, but it was prefaced. There was things going into it. The look of the fucking custard on the table was fucking gross. You know, popping her or squeezing her wounds out on them. That was disgusting. And then the fucking ear falls off. I was like, oh my, I can't take it. I almost fucking threw up. It's so gross. We have watched some of the most fucking gut wrenching <laughs> shit and talked about it on this podcast. And you're like, an ear slid off, and that was like the worst moment. That was, that, was, a, that was the worst one. Yeah, I watched a one. Serbian film, and it didn't bother me. Like <laughs> that fucking no. ear. No. <laughs> oh, I don't know what it was. It was either the coloring or the. Let's talk about Cannibal Ferox, but fucking Jedi. <laughs> 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 we'll bring, bring no in audition too. So I like. had no problem with with give it, Cannibal give it, give it, give it, give it. You know, making a cereal bowl out of his fucking head. I had no problem with. Audition in yo a newfangled uses for piano wire. I got no problem with that. Get it, get it, get it, get it, get it. The fucking ear scene. The cat. Oh god, the cat. What the fuck? <laughs> <laughs> it was the dog. It was the dog. Which is the dog. The fucking that, dog out of her yeah, mouth. It's the dog. What the fuck? <laughs> I've got that being VHS as well. That's a classic. Oh. <laughs> we're all, we're all over your house. That was one. That was underground. 
that was underground hit. If you had that, it was like, Oh, cause I, 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 I think I have the uncensored version too, which is, you definitely want, you always wanted the uncensored version. Oh, yes, yeah, for sure. But Scarface I mean, yeah. as well. <laughs> even, even, even the Fede Alvarez uh, continuation, when Mia jumped on top of her and she's just like, blah, like that ended. And then they added the chunks in there just to be really effective. Well, <laughs> you know, yes. And there's so much of that even that didn't get me. I was the uh, the ending in this movie is really cool. The the digital effects that they did because that could have been really hokey. Oh and it, yes, and it still it still holds up. Oh it's yeah, really cool. That that was and okay. you, the ending you don't really see coming either. It's like oh who, who no, did, with who the did button. see it coming? Did, did, I, so so oh, the it surprised. I me. I'll yeah. tell you, I didn't. I did not see it coming. Once it was happening, you're like the button. I was able. We're able to put it together. We're able to put it together at the same time she's putting it together. Correct. It's kind of like I love the timing. It was like, oh, son of a bitch, and he's and then he pulls down. It's like, look at this. Oh my goodness. And then you, he doesn't know. We know. She knows. We know. She knows. <laughs> And so she falls, she falls down on the tracks, and then it's like it, it as a you know just the, the viewer, or if you were there and you know in real time, it would just be someone committed suicide or whatever. So and then Justin Long, but Justin Long watching the whole thing take place is it's, it's, and then just you could just see him rolling sanity, sanity checks, sanity checks, yeah. <laughs> and then then she's gone, and then that's, that's it. it. Yeah, that great was, ending. No spoilers. Ending. No spoilers. No. <laughs> oh shit! Whoops! Bruce Willis is dead. No! All right, but that, was in, that was in Scrubs. Yeah. Bruce Willis is a ghost. He's been dead the whole time. <gasps> it's like what? No! <laughs> That show. Oh, but JL, did you get your answers question or your question your answers question? Did you get the answers to your questions in this movie? What do you mean? There were there was like a lot going on, and then like you said, the end. But you know, do you think there's room for expansion in this? Oh, oh, uh, I, I mean, you mean expanding upon the the actual story itself? I, I, I like, I like it as it is. I really do. I think it's a very nice and closed story, and kind of like the Sam Raimi universe. I don't Stand think he on. intends he intends to expand upon it. I mean, we've got Evil Dead, Evil Dead Two, Army of Darkness, and then Ash, Evil uh, Ash versus Evil Dead, Which magnificent fucking series. Holy shit! Mm-hmm. Um, and I like this as kind of like a part of it, but another separate story. You know, I think it's really, really cool, and. I dig it so much just because I think for this particular one, Raimi had something to say. Like there, this was personal for him, which I, which I which I think gives it all all the more uh, weight. And then of course, then we got Sam Raimi back, you know, back to his classic form with Ash versus Evil Dead, which is a lot of fun. So I'm, I mean, with all the stuff that he's going on, I think that this was kind of like you said, it was kind of like his baby. It was like you know his mind child, if you will. Mm-hmm. And, and definitely something that I'd like to see him go back to, you know, with all his big stuff going on. But, you know, I'd, I'd like to see more of this kind of film from him. Definitely. Oh, absolutely. Future, for sure. That's something I'd like to ask the audience. Should should Raimi expand the Drag Me to Hell story? Should it go farther than this? Should he move out from this story? Or should we kind of stick to the same same line here and, and move this could be kind of like a side piece. Strange. That definitely. would be cool. I think I, I, it's definitely expandable. You could no, definitely you could, go, you could go in so many yeah. different ways. You could. you could go pre, you could go C, you could go, you know, 
you could go parallel with this even if you wanted to. Maybe. And it's just ex it's just expanding. It's not necessarily like a prequel or yeah. sequel. Just it's expanding. I just I like it when you have directors like Sam Raimi that have something to say. Like yeah. what else? What other points does he want to make Keep out? Talking. Keep talking. Keep talking. Yeah. <laughs> what were you saying, McLean? Oh, I was going to say he should bring in Dark Man. <laughs> oh, <laughs> <laughs> just randomly, just, just randomly have him. You come can do it. You can do it, for sure. I'll play. Oh, Johnny O saying, leave the story alone. No more. Don't need to expand it. And it's I a standalone. Be, it's a standalone. Okay, yeah, I definitely. It's great. That's, 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 that's one. Johnny's answer. like, nope. It's okay. Just leave it. Or, just leave, leave it be. Johnny knows what's up. Johnny, you the man. Johnny knows way well, more than uh, definitely let us know what you think. Could this do you think this movie should be expanded? Do you want it to be? Do you think Sam Raimi should return to this part of the kind of like the Raimi verse? Let us know in the comments below or at weekendhorror at gmail.com. Eugene, it is that time. Dun, dun, well, dun. Yes, it is time for the trivia question. Trivia the part question. everybody's actually been waiting for. It's what they trivia. Do. They, 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 they endure our bullshit so that they can get free shit at the end. Yes. Can I help or no? And what are we giving away? <laughs> <laughs> well, you 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 fortunately have elevated us. You've elevated us above the normal shit that they have to do. Elevated horror. That's me, man. Ah. But uh the prize we're giving away, and unfortunately, it was delayed in shipping, which really annoys me God because it's it being too. shipped to my house. So I don't have it here to show you, but we are giving away a Funko Pop Jack Torrance from The Shining. That's pretty dope. Cool. So that will be the prize tonight for whoever That's gets. That's pretty cool. It's not a t-shirt. Whoever answers. Yeah, I wish. I mean, yeah, I mean, I wish I could show it to you. There, you know, you can see it online. But uh, I will have it here, and this way, it will be shipped out to whoever gets the answer to the to tonight's trivia question. Um, good, take it away, Eugene. Oh, Poe. <laughs> All right. The trivia question is. What number was the room in which Jack Torrance met the bathtub woman? I'll I'll repeat it. What number was the room in? Keep going, okay. Eugene. What num? <laughs> what number oh, it's was the, the it's room the movie. in it's which? The movie. Oh, what the movie? The movie. movie. It's the movie, not the not the book. It's the movie because they're two different. The books are different. Oh, the movie. Oh, yeah, I can yeah, tell yeah. you why if you want the nerd. Ass. Oh, in the oh, in the movie. Okay. In the movie The Shining, what number was the room in which Jack Torrance <laughs> met the bathtub woman? Remember, it is the movie, not the book. What was the room number? First answer wins the Funko Pop Jack Torrance. Alex, yes. what the fuck are you laughing at? What? I just hear you laughing. I was the whole, the whole, because the, the audience can't hear Johnny, and then there's just this, yeah. I was imagining it. From yeah, so you just hear me halfway through. I was through. just imagining from the audience what? point of view. Huh? How it what? 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 Well, because I hear it. Okay, because because what number? Boom! Mad Mark. Mad Mark has answered correctly. Who's Mad Mark? Where did Mad, he come from? Mad Mark is new. He's new to the Discord server. Oh, he's been in the Discord server for a while, but I think this is his first live stream. Oh my gosh! Welcome. Yes, You're a nice, brand new winner. Nice. Mark. You nailed not, it. Oh yeah, it's not PHC Tony winning it all. Thank God. <laughs> <laughs> we have a new list. Yes. And the answer is, is room 237. Uh, NANA would, like would like to submit 867-5309. Like 
<laughs> can i be honest somebody in my neighborhood was looking for the number for hoa so i just punched in eight six seven five three oh nine on facebook and he's like what's the area code and i felt really bad <laughs> well congratulations to matt mark you have won the funko pop jack torrance from the shining i will uh shoot us your shipping details um either uh message us on the discord channel or you can email us them at weekendhorror at gmail.com we'll get that out to you asap and uh, yes, Sean, 137, it was room 237, and same goes for uh, Jinju, also got it. So, uh, but yep, congratulations to Mad Mark. Fantastic work. Way to go. I was really terrified. I thought we were gonna, we gave away because we mentioned 237 a few times in the show. Yeah, a couple yeah. of times. <laughs> oh. Yeah, right, right at the beginning when we were talking about The Shining. Hold on, I want to know what the, what the lore is behind 237. Uh, so the uh, Timberline Lodge, where they, they shot the exteriors, which most people confuse as being in Colorado, is actually in Oregon. And um, they didn't know this movie was going to be what it was. And they have that room, and they asked them to move from 217, right? Is that the uh, 217? Yeah. And, um, and so they missed that where um, – they didn't want people asking for the room. And now in hindsight, it was the dumbest move they could have ever done. So it's actually the Timberline Lodge in Oregon made them change the number so people wouldn't request it there. But if you go to the Estes Park at the Stanley, you can stay in 237 or excuse me, 217. Um, it's booked out for years, though. So that's crazy. Um, that's pretty yeah. badass. And they tried to shoot. Kubrick tried to shoot there, and he zoomed out, and you could see homes in the back. And so they they moved it. It's uh, right on the edge of Rocky Mountain National Park. And um, Stephen King, as you guys probably know, was was driving home. Um, he was a teacher in Maine, and got the idea. He pulled in there, and they're like, "Yeah, this is our last day. We're about to close." And they like, "We have a haunted room." And he was like, oh, "Okay." And then nice. He put the uh, the hotel up on the top of what's called uh, the Trail Ridge Road uh, in the book, which is not reality. There is a like a little cafe up there or whatever. But, yep, uh, the Timberline Lodge did not want people requesting that room, so they totally blew it. Um, and when wow. people when you when you walk in as well, it's totally jarring because like the foyer is about fifteen feet by fifteen feet. That's a little different from the movie. <laughs> so, <laughs> Definitely. You walk in, you're like, ah, they didn't shoot anything here <laughs> other than the exteriors of the front. Even the back was, was that was on set. That was uh, on the lot. So nice. they don't make movies like that anymore to, to build that set like that is incredible. And that's based off the Awani, which is in Yosemite. Um, the inside of the hotel, when you do go into the Awani in Yosemite, it's like, oh, this is the shining. It's like, yeah, this is where they base the shining off of. So <laughs> awesome. Nerd. Nerd. <laughs> no, it's awesome. That's what we're here for. Yep. But visit both. You can stay at both. They're great hotels. Um, at Estes, uh, Stanley Park, or Estes Park, Stanley, and the Timberline in Oregon. So check them out. It's cool. All right, McLean, thank you so much for joining us tonight. Anything coming up uh, that you can tell us about or social media where our listeners can follow you at? Yeah, I'll just go through the list. We have our website and you can check and see um, what festivals we're in and whatever. And, and you can get online and, and most of the festivals are online. So you can have an opportunity to watch the Telltale Heart. 
but we're at uh, telltellmovie.com for our website. Uh, our Facebook is Telltale Heart Movie. Our Twitter is Telltale Film. Our YouTube is The Telltale Heart Short Film. And our Instagram is Telltale Movie. I would have got all of them in one, but I couldn't. <laughs> we uh, we dropped the link. Name's the, already taken. We name's dropped already the link in the description to oh, your great. website. So great. The and the website has links to, to everything. We're on SoundCloud and a number of other kind of okay. weird sites. But we, we interact with everyone. You can drop us a line. We will respond. And uh, we're very active on social media. And uh, social media has been very beneficial, including this. Uh, I wouldn't have uh, been doing this. And I really appreciate you guys bringing me on here and uh, I met you guys through social media. It's a really cool world where you can reach out across the world and find, you know, people that have similar tastes and it's really cool seeing you guys doing something like this, taking something like the pandemic and, you know, parlaying into something that's positive. And then it's also been very beneficial to y'all. So that's, that's very cool. And I give you guys kudos and I'd like to thank you. Like to thank Johnny uh, for for everything. It was great, and um, yeah, it, just everybody. It was very cool. Uh, the movies. I hope y'all go check these out. And if if you want to check out my movie as well, but JL, Alex, and Eugene, um, and Johnny, thank you again. And Weekend Horror, appreciate y'all. Of awesome. Thank Anytime. you, sir. Thank you. Part of the family now. Absolutely. You can't get rid of me. all right well thank you so much mclean it's been an absolute blast and that will bring another episode of week in horror to a close thank you all so much for listening and we truly hope that you enjoyed the show join us next week when we discuss the original wrong turn cemetery gates insidious chapter three and we are still here We'd like to send a special shout out to our amazing patrons who have helped us make this show the success that it has become. Glass Monster, James Jones, Alien X Gaming, The Friendly Antinatalist, Joe Knowles, Jeff Roberts, Dark Steve, Commander Darklight, Sir Chasm, Crafty Kila, Anthony Purcell, Gavlar, The Hand of Zod, Mike Barrett, Jessica G, NANA, Kyrie, Alexis S, and Jose Olalde. We love you guys so much. Thank you for all you do to support us. Visit us at WeekendHorror.net where you can find links to all of our episodes, our bios, our merch store at Teespring, and of course, enter your email for a permanent entry to win a mystery horror shirt every month, courtesy of $6shirts.com. For more horror entertainment, be sure to check us out on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, Week in Horror. Followers get our daily splatter, a bit of horror info every single day, right to your feed. You never know what movies you may discover. Subscribe to our channel and smash that bell like a fucking zombie head for all the latest updates from the show. We really hope you enjoyed this new live format, and we'd love to get your feedback. Be sure to leave us a comment below as the interactions really help us with the dreaded algorithm. And lastly, if you truly love what we do here and you would like and are able to support our production, you can through our Patreon. We have subscriber tiers as low as a dollar, bonus and exclusive content, and horror films every month for our higher tiers. However, if you'd prefer, you can support the show through our PayPal as well. Links to all of this, including McLean's website and all of our and our Discord community where you can find film recommendations, trailers, trivia games, horror watch parties, and even interact directly with us are all in the description below. 
And while this country is finally beginning to recover from recent events, we know that things are still really, really tight for a lot of people. As always, simply commenting, liking, and sharing the show with the friends in your local horror community is the absolute best way to help us continue to grow. We appreciate each and every one of you for being the greatest audience a podcast could have. I'm JL. I'm Eugene. I'm Alex. We will see you all next week. And as always, stay scared.